You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It's time to wake up with the morning boys. On Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And here are your hosts, Ryan Hickey and Mark Kelly. Good Friday morning and welcome in to the morning boys. Ryan Hickey, Mark Everett, Kelly here with you on a gorgeous Friday morning. You almost made it. The week is almost over. Thanks so much for tuning in wherever you are to listen to us to get your weekend started right here. Mark, a ton. Again, another ton of stuff to break down today. A lot of baseball. Yankees on the brink of elimination in the ALCS. Thursday night football. I mean, the AFC and, and the NFL almost just became more wide open with the Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes going down with looks like a dislocated right kneecap. Yeah, yeah. We'll uh, we'll discuss you know what what that means for the AFC, what that means for the Chiefs because you know you hate to see any injuries, especially to the star and the, really the face of the league now with Patrick Mahomes trying to get a second MVP uh, in a row. But I mean, if he's out for an extended time, this opens up the AFC. Big time, so we'll talk about that. Who can mm-hmm. kind of take over the lead role in the AFC Conference? A lot of college football to preview, a lot of NFL to preview. But, Mark, we'll start here locally in New York. Mm-hmm. The Yankees losing game four to the Astros, eight to three, and now facing elimination down three games to one going against Justin Verlander at home tonight. Probably not the recipe you, des- uh, you thought if you're a Yankees fan. And pretty disappointing last three games as well after a hot start in game one. Yeah, well, you look at the way their offense just hasn't performed with guys on base. It's not like they haven't had chances to drive and run. Usually they, were do, they did that all year. Right. They got big hits, big times, which is why they were able to win despite having uh, a ton of injuries. I mean, you, you look at just as many injuries as they've dealt with. Right. You know, Andujar going down, Stanton going down. And they set a record, I believe. It was like 30 players on the disabled list. Every single player except for one that was on the opening roster yeah. made it onto the injured list at some at point. At some year, point, yeah. Which is just insane. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know, a judge going down, Stanton going down. A lot of these guys going down, like you said, just about the whole team. Or at least the, at one point, I think their whole starting roster had spent time. On it's an, right. Again, it's an it's MLB record. It's insane. It's unprecedented. And they win 103 seen. games. Yep. So there's, there's definitely something that they've been able to do all year, which was hit with runners in scoring position and get big hits at big times. Last night you saw it. You know, I was, <laughs> I was on my way home. I, I went to a men's group at church last night. I was on my way home, and uh, Errol, I, mean, I was supposed to meet Errol for, uh, to, for, to, to grab something to eat. And uh, he said, I thought it was told me like 9.30, and, and I'm exhausted at this point. Okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and uh, so I said, you know, he texts me, and he goes, Mark, I'll, I'll be there by 10.20. And, it's, and I'm, I'm like there already, and it's, and I'm, it's 9.20. And I'm like, we'll wait here an hour? I said, I'll fall asleep at the table. <laughs> I said, there's no way. I said, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'll go home. We'll, we'll, we'll do it some other night, Errol, you know. And uh, you know, no, no, come on, wait. You know, I'll be there in a couple minutes. You know, you know, he talks me into it. So we're sitting there watching the game, and Gliber comes up with the bases loaded and one out. And you know, he said, you got to get a hit here, otherwise the game's over. And, uh, I mean, it's kind of obvious. But, yeah, Gliber come and he has come through in all those situations normally. And I, I, I was saying, well, that's their best player. So you, you want him up in, in this spot. He doesn't come through. And Encarnacion, who's been really struggling this series, him and Sanchez, outside of Sanchez's homer last night, have really struggled this series as well. Encarnacion has killed them. Um, and, you, you know, 
we we had talked about their the way they use their staff with really the starters going at at maximum six innings. Yep. And you saw it worked in game one with Tanaka, but then he was you know, he was pretty much out of gas once he reached that point, even though he was unhittable. And starting with game two where they really had to go and extend their bullpen and once that Houston tied the game with that home run and now okay let's we have to extend our bullpen into extra innings because it's not really geared to do that you're you're kind of geared to go the nine innings right and that, that's why everybody's got their innings and that you know last time the Yankees were down three to one with 1958 that was against the Milwaukee Braves in the World Series Last time we were down 3 1, came back to win a series. Wow, 1958. So, so you're saying the odds are not in their favor eh, for a uh, comeback. There's a chance. No. The funny thing about that is 57 and 58 Yankees and, and Braves, and Milwaukee Braves back then, who became the Atlanta Braves, played each other in the World Series, and they switched year to year. Braves were down 3 1 in 57 and 1, Yankees were down 3 1 in 58 and 1. So. Right, and we have seen it before. I mean, obviously, you know, you know this is a painful memory for That's Yankees fans. Nothing to do you, with it now, but yeah. You saw the Red Sox come back from 3 nothing down in 2004. Yeah. So, again, it's, it's, it does happen. These comebacks do happen. You've seen the Cubs come back from 3-1 down against right, the Right, in the Indians. World Series, you're right. You know? um, but this is a tough task going to have to beat Justin Verlander tonight. Probably it seems like a bullpen game in Game 6, which would favor the Yankees, you would think, and then having to go against Garrett Cole in Game 7. Again, if you get there and win these next two games, well, let's the, just – yeah, talk I, back to la- last night. Tough time right, it, it is. It is. It's going to be a, a tall order. But as you mentioned, right, like this lineup, we've seen it th- come through throughout the regular season and the postseason. They crushed the Twins. Now, mm-hmm. like you said, they have opportunity. It's not like they're not getting their chances. Yep. Game one, they capitalized on their chances, and now since really game two, game three, and now last night in game four, they've still put runners on. They still have had chances. The first inning. Zach Greinke walked three batters. You get an early run. You think you rattled them a little bit. The crowd is really into it. You have a chance already right there to kind of put your foot on the gas and kind of get out to an early lead and go in cruise control. Greinke gets out of it only allowing one run. You see the pair of home runs uh, that the Yankees give up to both George Springer and Carlos Correa. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you, you look at Yankees with running in scoring position, they are 0-13 for 13 now mm-hmm. in games 3 and 4 at home. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just been killing them. That's really the main reason why they're in this 3-1 hole. Exactly. And, I mean, you look at Houston's only hitting 182 for the series, for crying out loud. They've only outscored the Yankees by two runs because, you know, game one was that blowout. But at one point in game two, you're, you're, you're feeling pretty good as a Yankee fan, you know, uh, Sanchez is up with runners on first and second in extra innings. If he gets a hit here, they could be up 2-0 going back to Yankee Stadium. And now they're down 3-1. You know, losing that game, probably everybody thought no big deal. We're coming home. And last night, too, when Granke starts, because Granke, we, I think we both agree that Granke, while good in, in the regular season, has – Showing chinks in the armor in the postseason. Right, he's definitely struggled for sure. Yeah, he's he's well, he's not Verlander and Cole. No. And if you go to win a game, you've got to win that game. Right, which is why Game One was such a must-win for the Yankees, and they did that. Mm-hmm. And now again, you look at Game Four, like you said, right? When you when you have Cole and Verlander kind of waiting in the shadows there, two of the next three games, you almost kind of look at Game Four as a must-win. Can't go down three-one facing Verlander or facing elimination. And, again, you're right. Like I said, they had chances last night. They couldn't come through. Kind of the story so far of the series. And not to mention, too, the defense didn't do them any favors. They committed four errors last night, Mark. Just It was just mm-hmm. a complete meltdown yeah. as the game went on. that's rare for them, too. They it really is. They don't do that. Yeah. Yankees yeah. always usually play solid 
fundamental baseball, their history of the postseason. I, I, I can't really think of too many, too many games where they self, where they imploded. They really, they really don't do that. Right, and like I said, yesterday was just an absolute self-destruction. Four errors, 0 for 13 with runners in scoring mm-hmm. position in the last two games. Gary Sanchez. His defense was a, a little bit shaky, especially last night. A few wild pitches or pass balls gone to the backstop. Mm-hmm. It's just all these small things, Mark, that we see now. Yeah. Good playoff teams, they clean those up. They don't let those errors happen. Yeah. And unfortunately for the Yankees, you know, three games in a row, they've let these small things kind of build up. And now, like you said, facing a 3-1 deficit, facing Justin Verlander. Well, you, w- yeah. What's your confidence level right now? Well, here, here's the thing. I, I was thinking, what, what could they possibly have? Like, what other teams have faced such a, an enormous task? down 3-1, and not just down 3-1, but facing two Hall of Fame pitchers, pretty well, maybe not Hall of Fame yet. I mean, Cole probably. But right, Berlander, but Berlander, absolutely yes. right, and um, Cole's on that yeah. trajectory at least. Okay, it, now before I get to that, I, you know, I'm looking at these numbers. Encarnacion 1-15, for 15, Gardner 2-15, for 15, uh, D.D. who really came alive in the, in the LDS, and fans were worried about him, and we, we, we even talked about how he rises to the occasion, 2-16, for 16, uh, judge four for seventeen. Lemayhu is pretty much the only one. Uh, Lemayhu and Gleyber pretty much the only ones that have hidden. Hidden. Nice, nice uh, language for a writer. <laughs> um, Sanchez two for seventeen. And I, I think one thing the Yankee fans were afraid of is guys like Rosello were going to struggle. Like when were they going to show why they were available at the time they were? And, you know, two for fifteen. But even though. He's just like everyone else at this point. So it's not like you can look at him and say, "Well, we knew he would struggle." So, right. Uh, I, I I I think that facing their, the deficit they're facing, there are only a couple other teams I could think of that were able to force a game seven. Like I think of the the Blazers in 1999, or excuse me, in 2000 when the Lakers won their first title. The Blazers were down three one with games five and seven in L.A. And they won game five in L.A., won game six in, in Portland. And then they were up like 19 or 15 at some point in the fourth quarter in game seven and wound up losing that game with you know, Kobe and Shaq. And that was before they were Kobe and Shaq. Right. Before they had won. It was uh, Jackson's first year. So the Blazers, when they were facing that with two of the three games on the road, I said, you know, that, that's pretty much an impossible task. And they forced the game seven. And they really were in position to win. I, I thought that the Cavaliers, when they were down three-one against Golden State, yep. that you know again two games in Golden State, games five and seven, and they were able to do that. So those were two examples of, of situations like this. Um, you think of the Marlins in two thousand three, down three-one, facing Kerry Wood and Mark Pryor. Both at Wrigley, game six and right. seven. You, you, you had um, who's the guy who pitched for the Red Sox uh, that he wound up pitching a two hitter in game five for the Marlins. Josh Beckett. Yeah, Beckett. See, this is why my, my brain sometimes. Uh, Beckett kind of got them to game six, and then you know you had the whole Bartman thing. You know, right. you know, but you know, thinking that how in, in the world can the Cubs lose this with these guys on the mound? So. You've kind of seen examples of this before, especially, and, and then the ultimate one was the Red Sox down 3-0. Right. You know, Yankees went in 19-8 in Game 3. Red Sox fans just about, you know, on, on the ledge ready to hang themselves. And 
they, you know, not only that, but they're down going into the ninth inning against the greatest closer of all time. If there wasn't a series that was over, or an example of that, you know, historically saying, you know, what do you think the Red Sox chances are of winning this series down, you know, going into the ninth inning against Rivera and then winning the other three games with a totally beat up bullpen, uh, chilling with, you know, a tendon hanging by a thread. Right. No, and, I, and they did. You're you know, right. So it, 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 there, there is, no matter what the odds look like, the Yankees certainly can get hot. You saw Verlander, you know, showed that he wasn't God when he got beat up by the yep. Rays, and even though there's a short rest, okay? And, and even game two, I mean, you know, he, he let up two runs, gave that two-run homer to Judge, and that mm-hmm. outstanding play by Correa, mm-hmm. nailing LeMahieu at home. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, his defense helped him out, but you're right. Like, the Yankees, again, were getting chances, just couldn't convert. Mm-hmm. And to go back to your point talking about the Yankee struggles, I mean, it's not like the Astros are lighting up either right. at the plate. Like, a lot of their, their core guys, I mean, they only have two guys right now hitting over 300 mm-hmm. in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. You have George Springer batting 132, Carlos yeah. Correa batting 167. So for all the, you know, for all the Yankee struggles they have out of the plate, it's not like the Astros are just crushing the Yankee pitching no. here. They've had some clutch hits. Carlos Correa has had some huge hits. Yeah, like last night. Same with right. Same with George Springer. Their hits yeah. limited, but when they've been, you know, when they've happened, they've been very clutch in huge moments. Mm-hmm. So you got to give the Astros credit. But in talking about if the Yankees can bounce back, at least force a Game Six again. I mean, the tall task here again, going against Justin Verlander in a closeout game is extremely tough. But if you're pitching and James Paxton, this bullpen can at least limit the bats for the Astros, you have a chance to, you know, maybe go against either the bullpen or get one or two runs off Verlander because going to a bullpen game in game six, it gives you a glimmer of hope that if you win game five, you at least have a chance in game six. And then, and I know you're going against Garrett Cole, probably the best pitcher in all of baseball this mm-hmm. season, or if not, the second best, you know, behind Justin Verlander. You, I mean, it is a game seven, so anything could happen theoretically. Um but this is baseball, Susan. Anything right, couldn't happen. Exactly. But again, it's just I think that's where the frustration has to lie with with Yankees fans is that the Astros, for how good they are for the regular season, how potent their lineup is, has struggled at the plate for the most part. Their bullpen has gotten some big outs, which you were not expecting, and you thought it'd be the other way around. Speaking of the Yankees bullpen, I mean, Adam Adovino, how big of a disappointment he's been. Well, yeah. They bring him in in every situation. You just can't get it out. Yeah, I mean, sometimes that happens in, in postseason. I remember when the Mets in 2006, they had Guillermo Morda, who was unhittable when, after they got him down stretch, and then he you know, got blown up in the, in the playoffs and given up home runs to the freaking Scott Spezio. Right. I mean, yeah. you said it happens. Bullpens happens. are always fickle, especially, but... Mm-hmm. It is frustrating, you know, to see kind of and, how this series has turned, especially after a promising game one. Yeah, and, but generally, teams don't hit in the postseason. You know, like pitching rules in the postseason, just like in hockey. You know, how many times watching the Rangers during the playoffs where you're wringing your hands because you just, it's so exhausting watching them play. Because just to score a goal, it's like, oh my God, like you lose like five pounds watching, you know, right. each period. So it's draining. Postseason of anything is draining. It's not like postseason, okay, well, you know, now we're going to, uh, kind of blow the doors open and really play wide open ball. No, everything gets, you know, tightened up, you know, to where every chance you get, you, you, have, to, you right. have to, it's not like you have to come through, but it really shows when you don't in those situations. Yep. You can put losses on specific things now. Like I said, I mean, it's crazy to think an at-bat in the first inning could be the game or an at-bat in the fifth inning. Like you said, with two runners on and one out, you had Gleyber Torres and Edwin Arcanacion strike out back-to-back. It's crazy to think in the fifth inning that game could be won or lost. But like you said, in the playoffs, 
everything's different. All the situations are magnified. And especially when you're going against good pitching and, you know, a decent bullpen. Like I said, when you have opportunities, you have to come through. 0 for 13 will not get it done. That's why you've lost two games at home. Especially surprising for how good the Yankees have been in the postseason. We hit it on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. I believe it was 9-2 and two was our postseason record going back to 2017 at home. They've been yeah. dominant at home. They won a few wild card games at yep. home. And yeah. Going back to two years ago, they beat the Astros three straight at yep. home. Yep. So you wonder what's different. Like I, I was asking Errol last night, what, what's the difference between 2017 to this year? You know, obviously Garrett, you know, Cole's a, a right. big difference. Okay. Um, but yeah. But you know, they were able to when they went back to Yankee Stadium. They there was a different. There was an intimidating factor. Okay. You didn't expect them in 2017 to beat somewhat of, of an accomplished Astro team that had made the playoffs a couple times already. Yankees were kind of starting their journey. I mean, they overcame just that. Losing down to 2 to Cleveland in 2017, losing game two in extra innings, Yep. you know, where probably most Yankee fans were like, you know, oh, geez, if we were going to win this series, we had to win that game. Now we got to come home. Well, maybe we'll get a game at home. And then, but, you know, they win two games and then, Game five, game five in Cleveland, they wind up winning. And then that sets up where they almost make it to the World Series, an unexpected run. Since they won the World Series in 2009, they've had really frustrating series. Where, oh, yeah. Where, so, where the guys that normally came through during a regular season didn't come through in the postseason. You know, like the teams that had, like, Granderson on it and um, who's the, the, the switch hitter um, – that played right field. Nick Swisher? Swisher. He yeah. struggled See, mightily. See, chemo brain. Um, yeah, like he was in the postseason. Awful. Awful. And I, I, I think that you had guys like that uh, compared to the O'Neills and the Jeters. Well, even though Jeter was, was, was on those teams, he was uh, ending his career. Even A-Rod in 2009 was unbelievable. It kind of made up for all the postseasons he didn't hit. Yep. You know, and then – the years that they made it to the World Series, lost to the Marlins. You, had, you know, Sheffield was a you know big time hitter. Uh, Giambi would get you know wasn't as dynamic as he would have been if uh, you know when he came over from the A's. Right, but, but again, like your point, good enough they, to, they've to struggled get, yeah. in the big spot. Those guys did much better than this second group that since they've won their World Series in 2009, especially in big spots. You know, and then. They kind of were reborn in 2017 mm-hmm. with this new image. 2018, they, you know, they come real close, if you ask me, at game four that they lost to the Red Sox at, at home. You know, Sanchez flies out to the warning track, or, or they, you know, and they, they could win that game and win that series. And it was the team that won 108 games. Right, and the Red Sox last year, I mean, I don't think anyone's mad they, they lost destined. the Reds. Yeah. Right, like they just ran through the regular season. Mm-hmm. These are the best team mm-hmm. in baseball, and again, even breeze through the Astros, which, again, when you look at how yeah, good they, they, they are. They, right. That's what this series is kind of like. You, you expected that series last year to really be a fight. And, yeah, Boston made some plays in, late, in the inning, uh, late in the game that kind of stopped what could have been an extended series if those balls make it through and those games are won by, by Houston. But now you, it seems like you've had Houston clearly show the difference between them and the Yankees in these last three games. So now it's time for the Yankees to take that back low. I think they can. You know, you've seen their ability to do that. As much as Verlander and Cole 
have been on, on you know, the, the, the two guys that you would think, well, this is hard to do that against them. I, the Yankees, I think, historically have the ability to come up big and, and do that, when, right. especially when you don't expect them to. Right. Game five tonight, James Paxton trying to stave off elimination and going against Justin Verlander. Do you think it gets sent back quickly here, Mark, to Houston, or is it over tonight? As I'm saying, the Yankees have the ability to come back. Yeah, it's going to be tough. I think if they win tonight, they'll get to game seven. Okay. I, uh, I think it will end tonight. I think Justin Verlander just too good. Uh, if you want to give us a call if you're a Yankees fan, one 909 And when we come back, Patrick Mahomes goes down with a knee injury. How severe is it? How much time will he miss? And now, who is the front runner in the AFC? We'll get to all this as the morning boys roll on right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're listening to the Morning Boys on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Black Jesus. It is the Morning Boys. Ryan Hickey, Mark Ever Kelly with you here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We'll get to Patrick Mahomes' injury at the top of the hour. Just what it means for the league, what is next for the Chiefs, um, and how the AFC shakes out if he can't return soon but now we welcome on our second guest ever to the morning boys program here damian adams host of the real deal with damian adams podcast talks a lot of nba nfl some boxing just a really well-rounded individual damian ryan hickey mark ever kelly with you thanks so much for giving us a few minutes damian do you hear us yes i'm sorry it's a little hard to hear you a little faint oh sorry about that we'll try to uh, speak into the microphone there so damian um, we'll start with some NBA here. You just did your NBA preview on the Real Deal with Damian Adams podcast. Now, I mean, this is probably the most wide open the NBA has been in a very long time. Um, so I want to get your thoughts on the Western Conference. Obviously, the two L.A. teams, the Clippers and the Lakers, had the biggest uh, off seasons. But, you know, outside of those two teams, I think those two are the title favorites out of the West, at least. Who's the best team? Kind of how you see it shaking out? Maybe who gets a third, fourth seed? And Either one of those teams, you know, whether it's the Nuggets, whether it's the Blazers, the Jazz maybe, any of those teams you see can kind of make a, a legitimate run uh, for the NBA Western Conference title. So I really like the Utah Jazz because you look at their team, they're built on defense. So you think about Mike Connolly for years, he's with the Grizzlies where they're built on defense and they're contending because of their defense. And Utah, with Quinn Snyder's coach, has not built on defense. you got Rudy Gobert there who's been – Defensive player of the year. So the Utah Jazz have a foundation there that's built for defense, that's built to win. I think they can really shock some people this year. And you look at the West, that's, in, I mean, the East, excuse me. I mean, Giannis and the Bucks, obviously, the returning number one seed, a little bit of shakeup here in the East as well. How do you see kind of the East? Is, the, the, is it the Bucks' conference to lose? Are you buying into the Sixers this year and kind of the defensive stalwart stance that they're going with? How do you see the East shaking out? to hear you, I do apologize, but in the Eastern Conference... Mm-hmm. Yes, how do you see the East shaking out? ...to the Bucks mm-hmm. than the 76ers, because the 76ers have kind of a weird fit. You think about their team, you have Al Hofer that's joining them. Al Hofer's a very smart player, but he's someone who is going up in age and now is moving down in position. When I say down in position, he's going from center to forward. And usually as you get 
older, you move up in position. You go from guard forward to center instead of center forward to guard. So with him being at the four now, getting up in age, will he be able to guard the new age power forward? Right. So look at power forwards today. You got the Kristaps Porzingis and people like Kyle Kuzma, who in the past would play the three or the two, who played a four position now. Can Al Horford guard those guys on perimeter while you still have Joel Embiid at the goal protecting the rim? Now their size for the Philadelphia 76ers is crazy because you have your point guard Ben Simmons with 6'10". The smallest guy on the court at times is going to be Josh Richardson at 6'5". So their size is going to be phenomenal. But I think Milwaukee has a chemistry advantage over them in the Eastern Conference. And because you have Giannis who could take a whole another level this year, if he gets just a mid-range jump shot, that changes everything. Along with the players around him, Chris Middleton, Eric Bledsoe, they have so much depth there in Milwaukee with players like, you know, Ersan Alessova coming off the bench. So I got Milwaukee coming out of Eastern Conference because of that chemistry. And I think that Philadelphia will struggle at times to play defense against teams who have stretch fours and teams who have stretch fives also, people who can spread them out. Speaking of Giannis, I mean, he is the reigning MVP. He is the odds-on favorite to win the MVP and repeat as back-to-back. Do you see him going back? I mean, you said you think he could take a huge step this year. Is he going to go and take back-to-back MVPs, or do you see someone else, whether it's James Harden or Steph Curry or even Nikola Jokic, taking the crown this year for the MVP title? So this year for MVP, I got Kawhi Leonard winning it. Ooh. I think that the Clippers are going to have the best record in the Western Conference. Wow. And I see his load management not being as heavy as it was last year. You know, last year, I believe he only played 60 games. This year, I can see him playing 75. He's playing 75 at the level they played last year where he's getting you 28 points per game. He's getting eight rebounds. And I believe that his passing will improve as well. So he can go up from three assists to five, while also being very efficient, getting you 50% from the field, 37 38% from three, while also being the best perimeter defender in the league. And you see that on the best team. And also the Clippers are going to be on national TV pretty much every night because of the hype this year. And I think that national exposure does add a little bit of advantage to you when it comes to the voters because that's what they see every night, the people on national TV. So I got Kawhi Leonard leading the Clippers to the best record in the Western Conference and getting the MVP award this year. Hey, Damien. It's Mark Kelly. How are you doing? Doing good, man. Thanks for having me on the show, man. Yeah, it's great to hear from you. I, I know last time I talked to Damien, we did the NFL preview show last year. And uh, I wanted to get your opinion since I, I know you you definitely pay attention to a lot of things going on in the NFL. The Saints are 5-1 and one in the NFC. You've seen the disaster this rule has been that affected them the most last year. And somehow, I think the referees and the NFL thinks that blowing something like that can be made up, which we know it can't. And there's really no way to, to make up for something like that. How do you see, do you see with Bridgewater playing now and Brees coming back that they're the team to beat in the NFC or the Niners with what they've shown? Who do you think poses the biggest threat? Is it Green Bay or, or even the Seahawks uh, to, to the New Orleans who were so close to getting the Super Bowl last year? Yeah, it's a stacked NFC. There are so many teams who can come out of the NFC. It's hard to pick one as a threat. You think about the, the, I would say the 76 is sorry, the 49ers. <laughs> and they're showing such a great secondary and pass rush on their defense. Jimmy Garoppolo hasn't even started to play well yet. Yeah. And they're undefeated. Mm-hmm. So that's the 
fact that you see a team like that without great quarterback play playing so well and being able to shut down a team like the L.A. Rams last week, that's scary. Mm-hmm. So that team right there is going to only get better as their offense improves throughout the year, and Jimmy Garoppolo gets more comfortable coming back from that ACL. So it's definitely a big threat. Green Bay, you know Aaron Rodgers is a bad man. So when he has a defense behind him, he's going to be somebody who is always in it, always can make that big play when needed. So mm-hmm. Green Bay is definitely somebody who's right there as a threat as well. Um, Carolina. Carolina at 4-2 and two now has found their their stride. And with Christian McCaffrey just being unstoppable, that defense being what it is, maybe they found something there with Kyle Allen, and they could be a contender as well. There's so many threats in the NFC that you just can't get comfortable. Even though the Saints are playing great, you know, who that nation all day, we cannot get comfortable. You know, once we get Drew Brees back, we're still going to be right there in the midst of the competition, but we're definitely not ahead of it yet. We have to see what San Francisco can do going forward. Carolina, we have to play them twice. It's so, it's just big in the NFC, man. It's, it's rough out there. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Carolina, okay? Well, how do you explain that with Kyle Allen that they're seven, uh, seven touchdowns, no interceptions, they're undefeated with him? Things are five and zero with him, zero and nine with everyone else going back to last year. Are they uh, a team that shows different things now? They've kind of moved on, maybe from Cam, and have accepted a team built on McCaffrey. It's the thing. That's uh, tough, man, because Cam Newton, I believe, when healthy, is still a good quarterback. He still provides something that a lot of people can't do. That. 6'5", 250, running the 4-5, and having a cannon for an arm, he provides a different threat, a different type of just weapon that you're not used to seeing every week. So when healthy, I believe Cam Newton is better than Kyle Allen, but Kyle Allen right now is not making mistakes. He's letting the defense dictate the game for them. And when you have Christian McCaffrey, who you can give the ball to 35 times a game between passing and catching the ball, mm-hmm. or catching the ball and running the ball, excuse me, you know, you're making it very easy for that quarterback to succeed. Mm-hmm. I think that when Cam Newton does get healthy, they definitely should give him a chance because of his past, being a past MVP, and lead him to a Super Bowl. And the stuff he had last season, we're starting to forget that before he had the shoulder injury last year, he was having his best season as a passer. Mm-hmm. So if he's healthy, he's still a better quarterback. But Kyle Allen definitely has cemented himself as a very good backup in this league and someone who may be a starter if another team wants to take a look at him going forward. But if Cam Newton is healthy, that's the big key, then you definitely have to give Cam Newton his job back. Talking about quarterbacks that make a difference, okay, look, you, you go into the AFC now. Obviously, the ultimate quarterback with the difference is still Mr. Brady. But you look at the North, Baltimore 4-2, and two, they've kind of re- organize their offense around Lamar Jackson. He's been able to run, like you, you mentioned it, as far as Cam being able to run and throw and all that. Jackson running for over 150 yards and kind of bringing a whole new dynamic to the quarterback position. Where do you think the Ravens fit in the AFC? The Ravens are very, very good. You can put them right behind, I would say, you have New England at the top. <laughs> Buffalo's right there. Um, Kansas City's still a top team. And Baltimore is right under them. You think about Baltimore, defense is going to improve because they added Marcus Peters. So I think that his his skill set works into their defense. 
and he's going to help them by creating turnovers along with Earl Thomas. They have two very good ball-hawking secondary members there between those two guys. They should definitely wreak havoc together. So with those two guys in the secondary, that defense is going to improve. Offensively, with Lamar Jackson, what he's doing, the NFL has not found an answer yet. And it's very hard to game plan for a quarterback who right now is increasing his accuracy so he can throw for 250, 300 yards mm-hmm. while also running for 100 to 150 yards per game. Mm-hmm. And you also have Mark Ingram, who's been killing it this year. So whenever you have that mm-hmm. read option they do with Mark Ingram and Lamar Jackson coming out the side, you have no idea who's going to run the ball. And Lamar Jackson is such a weapon that even if you know he's running the ball, he has moves. We've seen him make people look very, very silly out there. So even if you're there and you're in the right place, he can get around you and still get yards. That team is very dangerous, man. I definitely would not sleep on them at all as a Super Bowl contender. Yeah, he, almost like he, he reminds us of Michael Vick in a way. Like Vick was kind of like that where – I remember he had an overtime run against the Vikings like for uh, 49 yards where he just ran past everybody. Like, he was such a dynamic athlete. Uh, you could not prepare for his ability to run for 40 yards on a broken play. And I, I think Jackson can do that, but Jackson also has incredible accuracy. And now they're gearing things more toward him. Uh, kind of gives that unique look of some. Well, we can't prepare for a broken place. And, and, and not only that, but they, he has the ability to be, run an organized offense, kind of like the way Russell Wilson does. Wilson isn't as fast as he is, but you've seen the success Wilson has, 14 touchdowns, no interceptions, 42 touchdowns, four interceptions back in the last 20 games. Um, how do you think that Wilson has evolved as a player this year uh, as far as maybe looking at MVPs of the NFL? Man, Russell Wilson is phenomenal. He is just, he's definitely the best quarterback right now in the league playing this year. And when you look at some of the throws he makes, like the throw he made where he hit Tyler Lockett in the corner of the end zone and Tyler Lockett hit the tiptoes, yep. um, that was a couple of weeks ago, only he can make that pass because only he can be someone who can be elusive for that long, stay, in, stay to keep the play alive that long, and then hit somebody with that accurate of a pass going towards the corner of the end zone. And he definitely deserves to be MVP frontrunner right now when you look at what he's doing for that team. Mm-hmm. And the weapons around him are good with Metcalf and Lockett, but they're not some of the weapons that other people have around him, right? You don't have Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen right. like Kirk Cousins has in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. So he's making these guys look better, and he's also helping them grow. Like Metcalf is someone who we all thought was going to be just a one-trick pony, like just go deep. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing more for him because of Russell Wilson. We're talking with Damian Adams, host of the Real Deal with Damian Adams podcast. Find that on all podcast platforms. Uh, if you want to follow him on Twitter, at the Real Deal, lowercase w, D-A. That's at the Real Deal, W, uppercase D, uppercase A. Damian, last night, obviously, you have the NFL kind of almost turn on its head with Patrick Mahomes getting hurt in the first half, looking like he dislocated his kneecap, didn't return. We don't know how long he'll be out. I mean, you've seen some reports saying best case three weeks, maybe worst case, out for the year. For, our, for this question, if, if Mahomes is out for a substantial amount of time or doesn't return this year, I think it's safe to say, at least right now, record-wise, the Patriots are the front runners in the AFC at 6-0. and um, Who kind of slides into that second spot if, the, you know, again, if Mahomes can't come back and the Chiefs kind of tail off? Who do you think is the second-best team in the AFC that can kind of give the Patriots a run for their money? So if Mahomes is out, 
there ready to slide to that spot and be ready. You got to remember when Buffalo played against New England, the difference in the game was a block punt return for a touchdown. If it wasn't for that block punt, that game probably goes in overtime. You never know what happens. Buffalo has a very good chance to win. So special teams was the difference in that game. Buffalo, besides that game against New England, has looked very, very good. Their offense in that New England game was very bad. But I think coming around and improving throughout the year, they will look better next time against New England, and Josh Allen will improve throughout this season. So I definitely think they're in the second slot. As far as Kansas City, they do have a veteran backup in Matt Moore. And mm. whenever you have a starting quarterback get hurt, it does affect you in that game in a different way than it affects you in future weeks. We saw it with the Saints. Mm-hmm. When Drew Brees got hurt against the Rams and Teddy Bridgewater came in, mm-hmm. the Saints didn't look that good because they didn't prepare with Teddy Bridgewater. Mm-hmm. But once they got a chance to prepare with Teddy Bridgewater, everything changed because yeah. they knew what to expect. They were able to win the following game. Matt Moore, veteran backup, we've seen him win in this league before. Mm-hmm. Andy Reid, veteran coach, very good coach. I think they can still win. Just hopefully that, you know, you hope Mahomes can be back in a few weeks. Uh, this kid, a kneecap injury I had. I was out for six weeks when I, when I did it. Of course, I'm not a professional football player, <laughs> so he has more you know, um, resources than I have. He probably can get back sooner if there's not any ligament damage or anything like that. So hopefully he can be back in three weeks. But for that time in between, you have a very good backup there in Matt Moore. So I believe that the Chiefs will be okay if he's okay to come back in a few weeks. So you're, you're buying into the Bills at least if, again, worst-case scenario, Mahomes can't go back, the Bills being that second team. So I, I know you referenced their offense, especially in that – uh, Patriots game being so bad, but especially on the other side of the ball, you look at the Patriots, their defense has been locked down this year. Really, they're winning in ways that we haven't seen in the Brady-Belichick era. Usually the offense is the one carrying the team and the defense making just enough plays to win. It's really the opposite this year where the Patriots defense has been locked down. Granted, their schedule has been favorable in terms of playing some weak offenses, and they've been able to feast off of that. Are you buying into the Patriots defense and their at least sustainability in winning with defense like you've seen for the first six games so far? is hard because they haven't played a good offense yet or even an average offense. You say, you look at their opening schedule, the best quarterback they've played so far is who? You, you could argue, make an argument that it's Danny Dimes in New York. Like, they have, it's been a very light offensive schedule. Now, it's still NFL teams they're playing against, so the fact that they're shutting them down to this point shows you that that defense is good. But I don't know if that defense is great yet because they haven't played against an offense that can really challenge them. So I'm not going to sleep on that defense. That defense has talent. You know, you have probably the best cornerback in the league in Gilmore there. Their pass rush has been great. And plus that special teams, that's something that, you know, you can't fake against a good team, bad team, whatever. Special teams are special teams. And special teams that showed up every week. So defense and special teams has really carried them this year. And you would figure that eventually the offense will come around with Tom Brady. Josh Gordon, if he's healthy, is a big threat. Uh, Edelman there. So they have some weapons. They don't have the tight end weapons. That's definitely showing this year. But that defense has been phenomenal. But I still have to see more against better teams. And I do think their schedule starts to get a little harder coming up. You'll have better offenses. So we'll see if that defense is truly a great defense of all time, the way they're looking right now. Now we are on the phone with Damian Adams of The Real Deal with Damian Adams. Uh, if you go to uh, Worldwide Sports Radio Network on Facebook, under our comment section on our page, you'll be able to click on his link, uh, look over all the past episodes of his podcast. Uh, I, I know you have a thing called the one-two, Damian, and uh, if anybody who sees your videos on YouTube 
uh, you're dancing around like a fool, which I, I think is hysterical. Uh, you know, you, you got you got some moves, Damien. You know, but um, it's, it's, it's definitely great great to watch. Uh, anybody who's interested, go to go to his page on, on YouTube. Uh, give us. I, I know you love boxing. Uh, to end the segment here, give us your one-two to look out for going into this week. So to give you the one-two for boxing? Yeah. So for boxing, we have a few fights coming up. I will give you, on October 26th, we have Regis Progwa, a.k.a. Rougarou. Um, he's a boxer out of New Orleans, so he's somebody who I follow very closely. Mm-hmm. He's fighting Josh Taylor in a 140-pound division. It's a unification match. For three belts in that division, it's going to be a very good fight on the zone. So if you're subscribed to the zone, you're already going to get it on October 26th. And the fight's in London, so it's going to come on very early out here, maybe like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. So be on the lookout for that one. That's going to be a very, very good fight. You have Canelo Alvarez going against Sergey Kovalev on November 2nd on the zone. Canelo Alvarez, someone who started out at 147 pounds and moved his way up and now going to 175. That's a big jump up from 160. Mm-hmm. Go against a power punch and Kovalev. That's a very interesting fight as well. I think people should tune into that one on the zone. And December 7th, we have the rematch. We, this year we had one of the biggest upsets ever. Andy Ruiz defeated uh, Anthony Joshua. We had the means of Anthony Joshua getting knocked out and his soul leaving his body and all that <laughs> stuff. Very funny. Anthony Joshua definitely feels a way about that and wants to um, revenge his loss. That's going to be a very good fight in December. This boxing is a very good time to get back into boxing if you fell off of it and get back into the sport. Those three fights are the fights I'm looking forward to going forward. I'm- Damien, thanks so much for joining us. Damien Adams, host of the Real Deal with Damien Adams podcast. Follow this guy on Twitter mm-hmm. at the Real Deal WDA. Damien, insane stuff. Thanks so much. NBA preview, mm-hmm. NFL, some boxing. You did it all. We really appreciate the time, especially early on the West Coast. Thanks so much. Oh, no problem at all, man. I'm a big fan of you guys, man. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, God bless, David. Thank you for everything, and keep up the good work, man. Great, great job with all the information and everything you do. Thank you, sir. There it is, Damian Adams, the host of the Real Deal with Damian Adams podcast. We'll take a break when we come back. Patrick Mahomes gets hurt last night on Thursday Night Football. We have the latest on his health um, and how long he'll be out for the Chiefs. And if he's not able to return... Who is the second-best team in the AFC, and how does the playoff picture shake out? It is the Morning Boys, Ryan Hickey, Mark Ever Kelly, with you right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're listening to the Morning Boys on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the morning, boys, with you, Ryan Hickey, Mark Everett, Kelly, on this gorgeous Friday morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Wherever you're listening, Facebook, tune in, WorldWideSportsRadio.com. We are all over the map. Periscope, if you want to follow our Twitter, at Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Um, this uh, again, a, a great Friday here. Our second week doing the show every Tuesday and Friday, 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. So thanks so much for joining us early on here as we get the show going, get the show building. Uh, we appreciate you wherever you're listening. Um, a big first hour, ALCS. Yankees are now down 3-1 to the Astros. Game 5 tonight. James Paxson going against Justin Verlander. Just spoke with Damian Adams. Great insight on the NFL and the NBA. Host of the Real Deal with Damian Adams podcast. And now, Mark, 
Thursday night football mm-hmm. last night, Broncos Chiefs, a game you you know you look at okay maybe the Broncos can keep it close divisional matchup short week you know that, those games are usually closer than you would think um, when two teams are mismatched the way they are in terms of skill on the field and the huge story not just out of this game but now reverberating around the NFL Patrick Mahomes in the first half on a QB sneak gets fallen on it looks like by either a teammate or Broncos defensive lineman or both looks like he dislocated his right kneecap is what Therese Paler of Yahoo Sports is reporting, saying it's not a fracture, just dislocated. But the huge thing will be an MRI today. See if there's ligament damage. Obviously, if there is ligament damage, he would probably miss the rest of the season if he has to have surgery, uh, especially. Yeah. Um, I've seen on Twitter, now again, this is not official, but mm-hmm. just some people you know, doing some speculation and reporting that best-case scenario, doesn't need surgery, no ligament damage, maybe back in three weeks, give or take. Um. But now, I mean, obviously this is just devastating for the Chiefs, but you look at now the AFC in general. The Chiefs are a flawed team, especially with their defense, and now you look at the skill positions. They don't have, you know, you have Sammy Watkins, who's a pretty good receiver. Obviously, obviously Tyreek Hill is great. Travis Kelsey is great. Outside of that, the running back aren't, you know, aren't game breakers. The offensive line is a little bit banged up. And, again, outside of Tyreek Hill, the wide receiver depth is not there. So you'd expect if the worst-case scenario happens, Patrick Mahomes out for a decent amount of time that the Chiefs will take a step back. How does this open up the AFC picture to you? I mean, you have a bunch of teams now. The Ravens you just hit on. You have, I mean, again, the Browns, at least on paper, have the talent there. You have the Colts and the Texans, both with winning records. Mm-hmm. The Bills are 4-1. and one. You have a lot of teams now kind of bunched together that with the Chiefs, if they fall back to the pack, opens up the AFC immensely now. Yeah, I think before the season started, everyone thought the Chiefs were going to be the main ingredient that were going to end the Patriots. People thought that last year, and they had them beat almost. <laughs> you think of the play where there was an offside penalty. They, right, they you get an interception, them. the game's over. Yeah. And if D4 does line up offsides, they win mm-hmm. the game. And also, how many times did Brady have to you – know, it's, it's like Brady bided his time, and then when he had to make those plays, like, okay, I got to come and win, get to the Super Bowl now, you know. And him and Edelman did what they had to do. How many third and tens did they complete? You know, Kansas City isn't you, – you saw the, the difference between real pressure, handling real pressure when you it's make plays or lose or get to the – you know, make plays and, and get to the Super Bowl or lose. And I thought that was going to be a huge learning experience, especially for Mahomes. It was just – not only is he a great – athlete but he threw 53 touchdown passes last year in his first full season and right we're not even scratching the surface yet i know I mean, throwing balls with his left hand and but you know so this guy is almost like nothing you've ever seen when vic came in like we we're talking about before and vic came into the league there was a guy you just couldn't, you can't prepare for broken plays but the fact is is that that's dangerous too as we saw with josh allen you're going to get hurt if you continue to do that. I mean, no one knew that he would wind up only being in jail. But uh, that type of quarterback, you figure we're going to have a real transformation in the league. That really never occurred. You, you had, like, Cam Newton come in. I mean, when, he, when he came from Auburn, people were thinking, well, he, he's different as far as he's not as fast, but what, a, what an athletic guy. I mean, just, you know, he's a monster. And... He had his day where, you know, 15 and 1, 2015, and, but he hasn't won a Super Bowl. Gotten him there more than, obviously, Mahomes only been quarterback one, one full year, but uh, got them there and then kind of waiting for that next 
almost like we're waiting for the next guy to take the control from Brady. Brady lost, it's almost like he lost it for a couple of years. Brady, you know, Patriots won three or four Super Bowls. Then you have Roethlisberger winning one. You got Manning winning one, being in an AFC Championship game down 21-3. to Yeah, Breeze beat Manning in a game. Roethlisberger win his second Super Bowl over Warner. Then you have Aaron Rodgers coming out of nowhere to win a Super Bowl, thinking Green Bay is going to be that next team. They going 15-1 and that year, the next year, losing to the Giants in the divisional round. Eli winning his second quarter, you know, beating Brady twice. Maybe he's going to be that guy. Okay, all these guys almost took it from Brady, but Brady then takes it back. Then you have ultimately Russell Wilson right there on a one freaking yard line, mm-hmm. give the ball to the beast. And I don't even know if the Patriots are able to, to go on a run they've gone. Because since then, since that play, they've been to the Super Bowl. Obviously, 2015, they didn't because they lost in the AFC Championship game. But if you remember that game, Manning couldn't put them away. They kept giving him the ball back, Brady the ball back, where the Broncos' defense, I remember that, the guy that they got from the Cowboys, uh, the outside linebacker, uh, that was uh, the pass rusher. I, see, this is where my, my, my brain kind of loses it. But well, right now, I mean, yeah. and, and, you know, obviously but, but names they, they, are... They, they, them, them torturing Brady right, that, yep. that last, you know, where it was like uh, Matt Soldier was like, he got beat like a drum that, yep. you know, the, in the fourth quarter, okay? Uh, and he was like constantly back there. I can't remember his name. Um, but they, but somehow Brady still led them down the field and had them to where they were within the two-point conversion of tying that game. Or, the, or they could have went to the Super Bowl that year. Then you have the, them the next year going to the Super Bowl and down 28-3 to in the greatest comeback ever. It's like they write all these new chapters, okay? Mm-hmm. Like usually when you think they can't do anything, uh, they've, we've seen it all. They do something different. You know, then they lose, uh, you know, probably the, one of the greatest offensive games Brady ever has, and they aren't able to win, losing to a backup quarterback. Yep, with kinda, the Eagles. Kind of on the level of losing to Eli. You know, just like, you know they're better, but they lost. Right, okay. okay. So now, last year, you have this new up-and-coming coach there. He's going to be the one. Because McVay's kind of like the little Belichick, you know. He's like a genius, you know. Like he figures everything out. Like you just you, – you look at him and you just wonder, like, what's going on in that brain. Like you know there's some incredible things going on in that brain. It's like, you know, it's like the brain of Nietzsche or, you know. The, right, I mean. Dostoevsky, right. like this unbelievable brain to figure out things that you and I – definitely you and I, but – or definitely me – uh, like the normal person can't figure out. And he's going to take that from Belichick. They lose. And so Belichick and Brady still are there. So somebody's got to take that from him. Nobody has. You figure that Mahomes and the Chiefs were. And I still think they can be. But even before last night, the Chiefs lose back-to-back home games for the first time since 2013, only the second time ever under Andy Reid, uh, as far as you know, consecutive weeks. Yep. Okay. So they, they show that they're maybe they're not as, as good as they were last year. Because if you lose to the Colts, not that the Colts are, are, are bad, and, you know, but when they you know, know Andrew Luck, you figure that uh, the Chiefs definitely should have beaten them at home. Yep. And then even uh, the team they lost to, the, uh, the Texans, you know, they have another one of those, the, the, those quarterbacks uh, they got from Clemson that, that just as – kind of reestablishing the NFL as a runner-passer. You don't know what he's going to do to beat you. He's got a high completion percentage, doesn't really throw interceptions. So 
there's that group that's kind of coming up, and you think that one of them is going to be able to replace Brady. And then you have the, the, the gang that is, still has a lot to prove, but you can see the talent, like Darno. Uh, right, like, the 2018 like, quarterback yeah, class. Like yeah, like Allen. Yep, I, I don't Josh know, Allen, yeah. Baker Mayfield in uh-huh. that crew. Right, like. And probably Allen's in the best position, not, not that he's the best quarterback, but at least he definitely has the best defense. Mm-hmm. Okay? And we'll see how good Buffalo is moving forward. So who's going to be able to take that from the, from the Patriots? I don't know. I can see the team I think that the Patriots fear the most would be Baltimore. Why? Because Baltimore's not afraid of them. You've seen in the years past they can go up there and beat them. Right. So even though they're only 1-8 against them during the regular season all time, they have two wins in the playoffs there. And I think that Baltimore, because Harbaugh knows how to get there, and we know they're different teams, they're with different defense, but they're, they have the number one offense as far as yards, Baltimore, okay? They're, you know their defense is always going to be good, and Harbaugh is going to always kind of – he's on that line, that level two with Belichick, okay? So I, I think that they're probably the biggest threat that can go in there and win. That I, that I believe. If, if New England, as it looks like they're, they're going to have, if you look at the rest of the schedule, yeah, you can see games that might give them trouble, but until we see them absolutely lose a game, we can't say, oh, well, they're going to lose to this team. So they're 6-0. and Right now it looks like they're going to get home field advantage again, again, throughout the, you know, it's like a, a, a yearly ritual. Yep. Uh, let's have that divisional round game at Foxborough, you know. Started with the um, with the tuck rule, and it's still going strong. I mean, I was like, it might be twenties then, and now it's still going on. Brady's still doing the same thing he did back then, so no one's taking it from him. I, I think that if a team's going to, it's got to be a team that can control the ball, which Baltimore does, doesn't make mistakes, and also can stop the Patriots in a must-stop situation. I think Baltimore can do all those things. We'll see. That's interesting. I agree with two of the three reasons you gave that. I am concerned about Baltimore's defense, to be honest. I like the Marcus Peter trade to help boost their secondary, but this is, I mean, let's be frank here. This is not the Baltimore defense that we're used to seeing no. under John Harbaugh. No. They lost a lot in the offseason. They brought in Earl Thomas, who's getting older. Um, like I said, free agency hit them pretty hard, and they haven't yet been able to recover defensively. But like you said, I mean, the, the Ravens offensively are very interesting because, like you said, they, they are run heavy. They have a dynamic quarterback in Lamar Jackson who show, I mean, again, just this past week against the Bengals, does something that no one has ever done in a regular season game before, throwing for over 200 yards, rushing for over 150 yards in the same game. So he is so dynamic, it's so hard to game plan for. I do worry that if Bill Belichick takes away the run, because you know how Bill Belichick schemes. He always schemes to take away the best part of that team's offense. I worry if the Ravens aren't able to run the ball, Lamar Jackson can't beat them with their arm. Now, again, he's been more impressive this year throwing the ball than he has been last year. But at least for me right now, I have reservations because I flash back to that Chargers-Ravens playoff game last year in Baltimore. The Chargers absolutely stuffed the run. Mm -hmm. Lamar Jackson looked flustered. Now, to be fair, it was his first playoff game, so maybe he's learned from that and is a little more calm and and knows what to expect the second time around in the playoffs. He just looked like he wasn't able to make plays. He wasn't as confident in himself throwing the ball, and he put the ball on the ground, which gets me nervous. So maybe, again, maybe I'm being unfair because I'm harping too much on on a rookie quarterback's first playoff game but I, I think the Chargers last year had the game plan set of how to beat Lamar Jackson the Ravens this year they doubled down even more running the ball with four million different running backs in the backfield Mark Ingram leading the way to me I look at the AFC East uh, at AFC overall and again assuming Mahomes can't come back we're doing a worst case scenario here because I think if he does come back in three or four weeks the Chiefs are still that second team 
behind the Patriots and have the best chance of beating them just because Patrick Mahomes is the best player in football. Mm-hmm. But if he's not able to return, the Chiefs regress, and you're looking for that second team to come up, I think it could be the Texans, actually. Mm-hmm. I think Deshaun Watson doesn't get the respect and the love he deserves, partly because being that same draft as Patrick Mahomes and Patrick Mahomes exploding on the scene last year and two years ago having Deshaun Watson tear his ACL when he was getting off to a great rookie start. And they kind of had people forget just how dynamic and good he is. He goes into Arrowhead last week, as you mentioned, beating the Chiefs. And that, to me, they're able to run the ball at least last week against the Chiefs. But I think if they have to run the ball, Carlos Hyde, they can. Deshaun Watson is an absolute playmaker. And in clutch situations, too, talking about the Patriots needing to make a play, Deshaun Watson is a guy that, outside of Patrick Mahomes in, tar- in terms of young quarterbacks in the AFC, I probably trust the most in terms of making a play. Third and five, can you get a conversion? I trust, again, outside of Patrick Mahomes, probably um, Deshaun Watson second in that situation. He has DeAndre Hopkins, arguably the best wide receiver in the NFL. And I do like the defense a lot better than I do the Ravens. You have guys like Whitney Merciless. J.J. Watt able to get after the quarterback, which what do we see with Tom Brady? How do you beat Tom Brady? Partly why the Ravens did it twice in Foxborough. Get after the quarterback, make him uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Brady's only getting up there in age. Now, while the stats maybe, you know, we can, we're not going to have this conversation with regression because we talk about every year it feels like, and every year he proves us wrong. But he is getting older in a sense that he's not getting as, you know, he's not as quick, never was quick, but in terms of getting the ball out fast and avoiding the rush and keeping the play alive, he can't do that now more than ever. I like the way the uh, the Texans are able to get after him, um, and I think that defense alone is able to keep it close, and I trust Deshaun Watson the most in terms of making plays mm-hmm. to win the game, um, and I hope at least just Bill O'Brien stays out of the way and doesn't get too caught up in the assistance record against Bill Belichick because, as we know, it's overwhelming. It's not great. It's like Nick Saban's record against his assistants. Bill Belichick just dominates his protégés, and – that's a little concerning, but I think at least in terms of the second or the best team to knock off the Patriots right now and deserve that second second slot in the AFC, I think right now it's the Texans. Here you go, some, some Sam, Sam Darnold. Once all the guys are back together, I think we're unstoppable as an offensive. Is that right? I'm we'll we'll see. Yeah. I mean, listen, but, they play the Patriots Monday night. We'll get to that game in a little bit. Yeah. But we'll but, see. You know, He has a chance. I, I want to say a certain word uh, that, that typifies a male for, for, for him to have to say something like that. Um, we'll see. I, I, I don't like all this, this bravado because they won one game yet. So Yeah, and again, we'll, we'll get into the Chiefs. A, I mean, a we'll get to the, the Patriots-Jets in just yeah, a little bit okay. here. That's an interesting game in the AFC for sure. But what about, what about the Chiefs? I mm-hmm. mean, look at their schedule now. If Let's just say even Mahomes returns in three or four weeks. Their upcoming schedule is tough. They host the Packers, they host the Vikings, on the road to the Titans, and host the Chargers before having a bye week. So Mahomes doesn't even return the next four weeks. Two of those games are against two of the better teams in the NFC. Again, at home, which helps, but Packers and Vikings is tough. Titans have a very stout and hard-nosed defense. Their offense leaves you a lot to be desired, but on the road and then home against the Chargers, which has been a disappointing team so far, mm-hmm. they have ability to tread water at 5-2 and two until Mahomes returns. But are you buying the Chiefs at all? I mean, they did dominate the Broncos. Mahomes missed most of that game last night. The, the Chiefs defense, I don't know. I don't really know what happened. Looked like the 1985 Bears somehow. Sacking, you know, Joe Flacco and then the punter combined nine times, getting after the passer, holding the Broncos to six points. Mm-hmm. Are, you, are you confident if Mahomes is out, even for, let's just say, you know, up until the bias, these next four games, are you confident at all that the Chiefs can kind of hold their own? Hold their own or even if he doesn't return, are the Chiefs, like, how do you view the Chiefs' playoff odds or – 
playoff viability if Matt Moore is there for an extended time? I don't, I don't know how if they can beat the Packers and the Vikings, both two good, good offenses. I don't care if they're at home. You saw they can, they can lose at home. If you can lose at home to the Colts, you can lose at home to the Packers. With Mahomes. You can lose at home to the Colts with Mahomes. Right. You can lose at home to the Packers without them. Absolutely. Okay. Um, same with the Texans, I think, are more dynamic than the Colts. Okay. But I still think that if Mahomes is not going to be there, it's going to be tough for them to beat teams that are at their level. I think Minnesota and Green Bay are at their level. Not that. You know, they have their own stuff to prove, okay? But I, I do think that if Mahomes isn't going to play, you've seen both of their offenses have the ability to be dynamic, especially now uh, Minnesota's kind of getting all the, the pettiness out of their way with who's getting the ball. and you know. So I, I, I do think that maybe they're, they're a team that is flying under the radar that you know has legitimate weapons. So I, I think those games are going to be tough for them. Tennessee... Mariota has, uh, is an enigma to me. He looked like he, at one point when they played Kansas City a couple of years ago in the playoffs, they're down, what, 21-7 or something? Right, and they make that epic comeback, rally. starting with the deflected catch. Remember, Mariota throws uh-huh. the ball, catches it off the deflection, yeah, right. and runs in for yeah, a touchdown, for touchdown and right. that like, kind of jump-starts their offense mm-hmm. to, to win in Kansas City. You're right. Uh, de- I mean, to be fair, their defense is very tough, very hard, especially on the road. I don't know, Matt Moore, you know, we'll see if he'll be able to handle it. Matt but but see, Matt, Matt Moore's a guy like – He's like a – I remember I told you about, like, Bubby Bristow. Like, Moore is okay. He'll do something to self-destruct usually. That's why he's not a starter somewhere. And he might be good for one or two games, but then you figure him out real quick. And he doesn't – obviously, he's, he's not Mahomes anyway, but they can't rely on him for more than this stretch. So if Mahomes is out for the rest of the regular season, well, I don't think he will. If, it's, if it was just a – dislocation and there's no damage ligament wise or even if there is it's not something that Season you ending. can't play with yeah I, I think that the Chiefs will be able to get back to the point where everyone thought they would be what they were which was the team to best equipped to beat the Patriots the one thing I don't feel comfortable with Kansas City doing is going up to New England and winning. Because they, they couldn't do it last year when they were scoring on everybody. And then you saw they couldn't even beat the Patriots at home when they had everything possibly that could go for them. See, last year the Chiefs had to get over that almost like curse where they couldn't win at home in the playoffs. You know, you had 95, they had the best record in the AFC, wind up losing in a divisional round to a bad Colts team because Lynn Elliott can't make field goals. 1997, they lose to, granted, John Elway, you know, and, and the Broncos, who eventually went on to win the Super Bowl. But that was, again, in the divisional round. They didn't win a home playoff game. Then you have 2003, where Peyton, who hadn't won a playoff game yet, going into uh, Arrowhead and beating Trent yep. Green in that dynamic offense. I believe it was 38-35 or something. Yep. Yeah, okay. it was a high-scoring game. Then you have the years with the, the expatriate backup where they win the division, losing to Baltimore. Matt Castle. Matt Castle, okay. And then you have the, the reemergence of the Chiefs uh, under Andy Reid where they lose to the Steelers at home. They lose to the Titans at home. So they had to get over that mind. Like, that, that was a real block. Right. I mean, and in that, then you had that loss to the Colts where they blew a 20, like a 38-10 lead. So yep. that's all you saw was failure, disaster. 
the, the worst possible thing happening to them, that's over with now. So they, they got past that. Right. Okay? Now it's time for them to take the next step. If he's healthy, I believe they have the weapons to beat New England if he's healthy. If not, it, it's going to take one of the – I think Baltimore can do that. But even in the development now of these other teams, as, as these guys develop, as these quarterbacks develop, it's going to be interesting to see who steps up to be that – even the division winners in those other divisions, who's going to win the NFC North? Is it going to be – you know, obviously everyone thought Cleveland was the, the hot team to watch. Now you know, yep. Beckham's miserable. Mayfield, you know, is still shot, shooting He's his leading his little league in interceptions. Yeah. And, you know, and then the Bengals haven't won a game. Right. So you, you don't know – and the Steelers, you know, have have their have their injuries. No, no big bang. You look at the South. You figure the Colts were done. Wait, with no luck, but they're probably the biggest surprise in the NFL. People didn't realize how good their offensive line was that they built around him. And Brissett is he is he is he the best? No, but Brissett can you can win games with him. Then you look at the Texans, who people thought could be a dynamic team. You know, they get Tunsil uh, from the Dolphins. You know, they, they kind of put these weapons in, in place to, to make a run. We'll, we'll see. They, but they got to win the division. You cannot, I, I think now, in, in this day and age, you cannot be a wild card team and expect to go on a road and beat New England and beat, you know, and, and Kansas City on a road. You, you can't do that. Right. you got to win your division. It's tough, right? We'll see. And obviously the big question with the Texans, at least, is can they protect Watson? They did it against the Chiefs yeah. last week, but that's been their bugaboo. And, yeah, and that's the frustrating part, too. The Texans really have yet to put together. I guess you could say last week they put together a full game for the first time, really dominating the Chiefs on yeah. the offensive line, not allowing a sack, playing well enough on defense, especially after a slow start, to kind of hold down and win. Well, um, but, but complete game. I mean, the guy threw for like five touchdowns for 400 yards the week before, Watson? Yes. Yeah, so well, I mean, I'm yeah. saying that the defense, like, oh, you know, when uh, Watson plays defense. good. Okay. Rob, I'm sorry, I'm talking about a full, complete game where the, the offense plays really well, the defense plays well, the offensive line blocks. They have, again, last week was probably their closest to a full game they've played so yeah. far, which is encouraging. Mm-hmm. But they have a huge matchup against the Colts this week um, for a fight for the division lead. As you mentioned, right, winning the division, especially this year more than ever, would be so key um, to, uh, to help your playoff odds. So, I'm going with the Texans as the second-best team in the AFC if Mahomes can return. You're going with the Ravens. I think those are two really interesting teams winning in different ways. We'll see if they can push the Patriots. Um, and, again, we'll see, obviously, if Mahomes can return. Again, dislocated the right kneecap. He'll have an MRI today, see if there's ligament damage, and that will be the true test to see when he can return or if he'll have to miss the season, unfortunately, which would be a, just a huge blow for the NFL. Speaking of the NFL, we'll stay there. Two big local games Jets hosting the Patriots in Monday Night Football. And a fun one on Sunday, Giants hosting the Cardinals, two uh, first-round quarterbacks in this past year's draft, facing off in Kyler Murray against Daniel Jones. Preview those games, a ton still to get to in the, around the NFL. We had a prove-it Sunday last week. We have still a few other intriguing we, we, we matchups. Have name, we have n- no, no nickname for this Sunday No yet? nickname for this Sunday. I'll have to workshop it before uh, we get to it. And if you know any names you want to give us a call, one 877 one eight seven seven nine zero nine 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 seven seven. How good are the Chiefs? If Patrick Mahomes can't return, who is that second team in the NFL? We'd love to hear your thoughts. And again, Jets, Patriots, Cardinals, Giants. We'll get to both of those games. When we return as the Morning Boys, Ryan Hickey and Mark Kelly roll on on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're listening to the Morning Boys on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. 
It is the morning, boys, rolling on with you on this Friday morning. Ryan Hickey, Mark Everett, Kelly with you. Every Tuesday, Friday, 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WorldWideSportsRadio.com. You can find us on Periscope, YouTube, Facebook. Second week of the show, so thanks so much for listening wherever you are. We hope to be here for a long time, filling up your mornings with some knowledge, with some entertainment, hopefully, uh, as we get to a weekend chock full of some great sports action. And Yankees-Astros tonight, ALCS Game 5. You have a ton of college football um, to get to. NFL, some great matchups. You had to prove it Sunday last week. We still have to figure out a name for this week as some pretty pivotal matchups, uh, pitting two, you know, some pretty decent teams against each other. We'll see where they shake out. Patrick Mahomes' injury, where that leaves the AFC. Who is the second-best team? You want to give us a call, 1-877-909-9977. I said it was the Texans with Deshaun Watson and the, the decent Texans defense. Mark going the Ravens, Lamar Jackson, their running attack, um, keeping the ball away from Brady. Both interesting choices. I think both really two good choices. I would say probably the two best options you could pick in the AFC. Um, the order up to you. Um, but let's, let's go locally here. On Sunday, we have a good slate of games. We have the Jets and Patriots on Monday Night Football. We'll get to that in a second. But I think a really interesting matchup here, Cardinals 2-3-1, traveling to MetLife, taking the Giants 2-4. and four. Now, remember, you have Kyler Murray taking first overall in the draft, Daniel Jones taking sixth overall, so you have two rookie quarterbacks going against each other. This is a really fun matchup to me. Again, you see two young guys really starting to develop in their offense. Daniel Jones finally, for the first time, really can almost have a full game with a full complement of weapons. Remember, Saquon Barkley went down early in the game with an ankle injury, ankle injury during his first career start against the Buccaneers. Looks like he will return this Sunday. Evan Ingram looks like he also is cleared to play. So two of the three opens, it doesn't look like Sterling Shepard will play the leading wide receiver for the Giants. But now you can finally see what Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley, this really the pair um, that you're hoping for and dreaming for if you're a Giants fan, to work out really well. They finally get back on track. And now, again, going against the Cardinals defense, that their offense is going to get a lot of attention. Their defense is, is pretty weak. It'll be a fun matchup for these two teams. I think that going into the season, everyone kind of forgot about the Cardinals. They drafted Josh Rosen with the thought of making him their – franchise quarterback they gave last him, year's they, draft right yeah they gave him some shots last year but he never really clicked but I still think it was kind of surprising that they opted to give up on him as quickly as they did and go with Kyler Murray you know you were thinking maybe you add another piece and kind of play off each other and be able to really build something you know with a, a number one pick maybe or trade trade and and get a number of picks. They didn't do that. They believed Murray was the guy that was going to lead them to the promised land eventually, which is kind of a different thought for a quarterback of his stature. He's not a big, strong guy. He's a small guy. He has a great arm. And you would look at him and say, well, this guy's the prototypical college guy. He's a guy that's going to put up big numbers in college. There was a guy called Major Harris back in the late 80s played for West Virginia, and he was about 5'9", and he was a great athlete. And he uh, led West Virginia the year they faced Notre Dame for the national championship, I believe it was 1989. And people thought that Harris was going to be like the, the next, kind of Michael Vick before Michael Vick. He wasn't as dynamic a runner, but kind of like a, a quarterback. You know, Charlie Ward was a little bit like that. You remember Charlie Ward? Yep, he played Florida NBA State. For the next, yep. Yeah. Funny, he wound up being a uh, you know, pretty good NBA right. player for the Knicks. Um, yeah, led national, led, won the Heisman Trophy, led Florida State to a national championship, okay? Um, 
And Harris never – I think he wanted to get drafted by the Raiders, but he just kind of was forgotten about after, after college. So then you have Kyler Murray coming in. He's not very, not very big. And you, you're thinking, well, can he see we over, over the, the defensive line? I mean, he's only 5'10". Right. You know? Uh, now he can run like the wind, but is he as dynamic a runner as Lamar Jackson? I don't know. And, and do you really want him running? I was just going to say, not. I'm not sure if yeah. someone of his stature and his weight you want running like Lamar Jackson. Right. But you look at the pass attempts, okay? You have 54 in that first game, which showed the ability to come back. They were down big against Detroit. They went up tying that game. Then, uh, you know, a, a six-point loss at Baltimore isn't bad. They, you know, they lose to Carolina uh, with Kyle Allen like everyone else has. They, they're not really in the game at Seattle. Then they, they beat the Bengals, and then last week they held on. Yeah, I think the most disappointing team in the NFL has been Atlanta. Absolutely. You know? um, Absolutely. Yeah, uh, a team that was, it really has not recovered since blowing that. No, you're right. Bowl. Under 500 during the regular season since that Super Bowl, you're right. They just mm-hmm. It's like the hangover has been with them now for like the third straight season. Mm-hmm. But uh, last week, definitely his best week as a pro. Uh, 72% completion percentage, just about 73, 340 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, looked in control of the offense. Yeah. Okay. And like and you said, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, no, Mark. Uh, oh, no, continue. Uh, I, I, I think that the ability that he has to ask what Kingsbury is going to ask him to do, and Kingsbury is another wild card. You don't, they're not used to the offenses he runs. He's more of a, he brought like a college offense to the NFL. And, the one thing that I think that most people could agree on is that college offenses usually didn't work in the NFL. There's too many good athletes. And that's still up for debate. I mean, they haven't proven that they can play that way and win with it yet by far. But I th- he's doing better than I thought he would because of his size, because of the fact that Arizona really doesn't have much around him outside of Larry Fitzgerald, which is, you know, he's a great wide receiver, but... Uh, it's kind of past the, the best years of his career. And if Arizona was – if it was any other year where you didn't have, like, all the other teams, you know, 4-2, 5-1, you know, at Seattle and L.A. is probably still, most people think, the best team in that division. Probably not anymore after the way the Niners beat them. But the Cardinals were always an afterthought. They're kind of making a name for themselves a little bit where they're – they could say, you know what, we're better than people thought. You know, they, they are one, uh, two, three, and one at this point. We'll see how the rest of the season goes. This is a winnable game for them, though. And I say that because after the party that Daniel Jones had in his first game, which was everyone anointed him as a second coming, and he looks, not that, but he looks the part. You yeah. Know, he, he looks like a, a guy that, you know, is confident. He can read defenses. He makes good decisions, uh, its completion percentage is high. That game, and then they come out and they dominate the Redskins, which kind of everybody does. But still, at that point, you're thinking, you know, this guy's going to be pretty good for us. So he could have turned our whole season around if you're a Giant fan. Then the, I think the Minnesota game at home, because Minnesota wasn't like a can't miss. Well, oh, the Giant, like a definite loss. Most Giant fans thought that if they're going to, be anything in the NFC, they can compete with Minnesota, and they didn't. Uh, you know, where it was, you know, most games come down to one or two plays that can tilt a game in the other direction. I think that's what kind of happened in that game. And then, you know, they weren't going to beat New England anyway, but 
since that game, since the game against Tampa Bay where he had two touchdowns, three for 336 yards, uh, you know, he's thrown three touchdowns, only, only three touchdowns and six picks, okay? And even his completion percentage is only 59%. He's been sacked five times. So he's not this guy that's just taken over and like, like Pennington did like that year in 2002 where he had 22 touchdowns and five picks and a, a quarterback rating of 104, okay? Jones isn't that. He's not this guy that, that's going to take over and just, and just have this ability to be great and not struggle along the way. You, you can see that there's a little bit of struggle now. Right, I mean, okay? and to be fair, like, you look at, you know, especially the last two games against the Vikings uh, and against the Patriots, Daniel Jones is throwing the ball to no one and handing the ball off to no one. So, again, he's a little hamstring. I get, you know, you yeah. throw your hands up in the air, but when you're handing off to your third-string running back and throwing, you know, as your third-string wide receiver being your number one option without your tight end, without your best running back, without the, his backup, again, it's tough. I'm not trying to make excuses. Right. Like, right. You know, it's all about just kind of taking things in context. Not that Daniel Jones and the Giants are going to make any noises here anyway. I think this is a great learning curve. I'm excited to see what they do now with Saquon back, with Evan Ingram back, two of your best weapons on the yeah. offensive end. You know, now you can finally see, sort of like with Sam Darnold and the Jets, once he returns, you can kind of see what this offense is going to look like, what their identity could be. Now as guys start to return, maybe get Stone Shepard next week or the week after that, you can kind of start to see the identity of the offense, what Daniel Jones does well, what he doesn't do well. I think this is a nice test. Again, the Cardinals' defense is pretty lackluster. They do return Patrick Peterson, but so they have a lot of holes a lot of places. Uh, but I think this game will be interesting because, like you said, right, two, with two rookie quarterbacks, I love what the Cardinals did drafting Kyler Murray. If you have belief in a guy that you think he will, he's better than any quarterback you have on the roster and could be a franchise changer, you absolutely do it, even if you drafted a quarterback in the first round the year before. I like how they weren't shy about that. And I like how they went all in. You know, if you're going to get Kyler Murray or if you're thinking about, you know, leading up to the draft mm-hmm. and you're going to get him, why not go all in, get a quarterback that, I mean, get a head coach whose offense mirrors the skill set that mm-hmm. Kyler Murray has in Cliff Kingsbury. And it's, so far, it's been fun to watch. I mean, Kyler Murray yeah. is top 10 in a lot of different categories for, for quarterbacks, whether it's yards, yards per game. He's only thrown four interceptions. I mean, he's been sacked 21 times, but that's also due in part because the offensive line is arguably probably the worst in the league. But part of the reason why I like them drafting Murray is because he's so fast, So he, because he's so nimble. That really makes the offensive line better because now if they break down and free rusher gets in, he can still escape the pocket and make some plays. And speaking of runner, the thing I like probably most about Murray is that when he scrambles out, he still looks to throw the ball down the – like he still – when he runs out of the pocket, he's still looking to throw the ball first, which, as you mentioned before, with his height and with his weight, he is not built like Lamar Jackson to take these big hits and run direct quarterback draws or quarterback powers. But he uses that speed he has to get out to the pocket and almost help wide receivers get open because he's extending plays with his legs and still looking to throw the ball with that rocket arm. This is going to be a fun game because this is almost like in the NBA, like you have a league pass team where teams aren't good, but they're exciting to watch. They're mm-hmm. sounding young, young and developing. Yeah, this game, like that, yeah. right, like you, you look at, and we'll get into the slate in a little bit here of some good matches we have in the NFL. The Giants and the Cardinals doesn't stand out to you, but in the terms of Two young teams with exciting weapons coming back on both sides of the ball. This is one of those games where it won't mean much in the standings, mm-hmm. but it could be one of those games that's so so exciting to watch, and especially with both defenses being pretty brutal, especially in the secondary. Mm-hmm. I mean, both both Murray and Jones could have a field day. So you're looking at you know, maybe a 31-28, 35-31 sort of game that is going back and forth and really leaves the fans you know excited for, again, 
when you look at the game on paper, two, three, and one going against a two and four team, neither team making any noise in the AFC, you think to look twice. But it should be a, a fun and exciting game. Um, again, for especially for the future of the NFL, watching two young quarterbacks go against each other. Mm-hmm. I, I, the only reason why I, I would hesitate to to look at injuries is because most quarterbacks, I think, that are elite quarterbacks, it doesn't matter if their guys are injured. Like when Peyton's guys were injured, whoever he came in, he would just they would. Rise to his level, right? And he's okay. a you know a quarterback like Tom Brady too. Like those guys would make players better. Russell right. Wilson, the same thing. Right. Drew Brees, right? That 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 that's kind of what I was talking about. But yeah. I mean, to be Daniel Jones is making his what fifth yeah. career start. Like, it's but, not if he's not making guys around him better or struggling because you have, you know, Sterling Shepard out. You you're handing the ball off to Hilliman or you're trying to throw the ball to Cody Lattimore cool, as right? your Lattimore. as your number one target. I I can't hold you know fault him for that or or knock him because. The weapons he has aren't getting open. It's tough. I mean, again, it's his fifth start. Like, I mean, he did. It's he, it's tough yeah. already to ask him to make players around him better when he's still learning the league, trying to just get his footing right and catch up to the speed of the game. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think if you're that that's that's where I I think I see things a little differently because I, I think that if you're going to ask a quarterback to play in the NFL, you're going to ask that, that's one thing he needs to do. If if he's going to be uh, a guy that you're expecting to be your franchise guy, uh, it, it there is not. Really, okay, well, it's time now that he shows that or he's played long enough to now he can show that. Most guys that have it do it right away, like Brady, uh, you know, even uh, uh, Mahomes. Once they get that, that start, uh, they have the ability to lead their team and kind of inspire, make other guys better, kind of uh, be able to go over the things that they're missing and still win games. And, and Manning did that kind of thing right away too in first year yeah, you struggled a little bit three and 13 but then they won a division the second season 13 and three and then it took a while for the win a playoff game but there were times when when Manning had absolutely nothing as far as wide receivers uh in certain games and somehow he was still able to take the team down and you know again we're talking about one of the greatest quarterbacks ever so I, I understand there's a difference and yeah there is going to be the ability to learn to do that too so I don't mean to be too hard on him, but I'm saying that usually when I look at a, a guy, I try – one of the things that I, I factor in is how well he plays when he doesn't have everything going for him. You know, to me, that's the real difference between the great ones and the, the good ones. Right. I mean, yes, I, I agree to a certain extent. But, I mean, even going back to Peyton Manning, you said 3-13 his first year. He threw, what, 30, almost 30 interceptions yeah, 20, his first 28, year? So it's like, you know – it's, I guess it's tough to fault a rookie QB if they're not helping their team or elevating other guys around them when you have you know, references like Peyton Manning going 3-13 his first year, throwing 20 mm-hmm. interceptions. Now you could easily say the same thing about Manning after that first year. You know, it's a different game, he, though, then, though. I think now it's different. I, it, it is a little bit, but at the same point, it's, you know, again, you can only do so much with what's around you. You know, even you look at a guy like – you want to look at guys who had success early who are young, like Dak Prescott, Russell Wilson. Like, when they were drafted, they were drafted into insane situations – to where they everything was around them was set. Their defenses were set, and especially in the Cowboys case, they had Ezekiel Elliott drafted. They had a good offensive line. Right, so good it's offensive like, line, right? You know, they That's weren't crazy. drafted to be the savior of the franchise to turn mm-hmm. it around. They were drafted almost as an afterthought. Won the job, especially you remember with Russell Wilson, they signed um, what's it, Matt Flynn to that big yeah, contract right? extension. Yeah, And what happens? Russell Wilson beats him out. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you know, in, yeah. those, in those cases where you have young guys coming in and playing well early on. Those situations were built around them to where they just had to basically not lose a game, and they did that. 
Daniel Jones is a different case. He was brought in to save the franchise, to turn it around and be that cornerstone moving forward. So I can't fault him early on. Four starts in for not making guys like Cody Latimer any better or when the offense is sputtering because the top two running backs are out, not getting you know enough offense going in Foxborough in a short week. It's just, you know again, sort of like when Sam Darnold returned last week with Mono, you can start judging Adam Gase. I feel like now with Saquon Barkley back, with Evan Ingram back, you can start looking at the Daniel Jones era and, again, use these last, what is it, 10 games here as a barometer to see what he does well, what he doesn't do well, how, you know, what pieces fit where, and kind of use this starting right now as a judgment going forward. Like I said, he started the scene great with the Buccaneers. Granted, the Buccaneers' defense stinks, and it was not a mirage, but, you know, it was, again, it was a great first debut. We'll see what he can do. But I think it'll be a fun game for both sides to see, you know, young quarterbacks kind of breaking out and see what they can do against each other. Um, so let's go to Monday night. Oh, you want to wrap it's, up? It's, it's funny because you mentioned um, Russell Wilson. Okay, he came into this situation with Seahawks in 2012. They were seven and nine the year before. I had Tavares Jackson, um, and even the year before that, they they only won. I think they maybe were six and ten or seven and nine and made the playoffs and then they beat the Saints like right, with, the seven and nine year, right. Yeah. yeah they won with, the division. With the beast with that great yep. run. Okay. And he was a guy that they, how good were the Seahawks at that point? They weren't good enough to have a winning record. Okay. But they still when Wilson came in, no one saw coming what he was going to do for them. But the first year, twenty four touchdowns, ten interceptions, twenty six touchdowns, ten interceptions. There was a game that he played against the Patriots where they were down by, uh, I believe, 13 points going into the fourth quarter. And they came back and beat New England in Seattle. That was a game where um, Sherman, after the game, went up to Brady and was like, what, you know, what's up, bro? You know, uh, that was like the beginning of the Seahawks. Then in the playoffs, there was a game against uh, the Falcons where they're getting killed. And Russell Wilson single-handedly brings them back in the fourth quarter where they take the lead with 26 seconds left. And then I think Matt Bryan went to 53-yarder to beat them. Otherwise, that would have been, like, a, an unbelievable comeback for a rookie quarterback. So yep. he kind of had that right away where you knew there was a difference that was going to make them better. Andrew Luck, same thing, right away. They were 2-14 and 14 the year before, 11-5 and five with him. Uh, and, it's, and you saw, I think, with Darno even this week, getting into the segue to the Jets, I think that I, I didn't know – I hadn't seen that yet with Darno, what I saw last week. You saw snippets of it last week, uh, last year, like when they played the Broncos and when they played the Colts, where he played really well, but then he regressed to the point where he needed to be taken out uh, after the, uh, one of the most, most awful performances in franchise history against the Dolphins, where that, that was probably one of the worst offensive games that they played five picks. They could, center couldn't snap the ball. It's like nothing went right. Right. Yeah. It was like the battle of futility because the Dolphins were bad offensively too that game. So going into the game now against the Patriots on Monday night. All right. The thing that Jet fans got to watch is they ride or like you, you have never seen such uh, like like psychotic behavior than of a Jet fan because they go from the top of the mountain to the bottom of the barrel like that. So if after they, after they lost to the Eagles, it was, the, you know, we're, we're horrible no matter what happens, okay? So Darno come back, and now we could – some are even thinking, well, maybe we can catch it. Like, okay, let, 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 let's calm down here, okay? We saw one game against the Cowboy team 
that's good. But you saw in the second half that the offense wasn't able to make adjustments. That's what bothers me about Gase. You see the Jets' defense can make those adjustments. All right? Gaze has got to prove that you know, in the first half, especially in the second part, once they stopped the, the Cowboys inside the five-yard line or whatever, and then Robbie Anderson next play, and then even right before halftime, going right down the field. And, and Darnold was like, you know, okay, like, I, honestly, guys, I, I've had enough. You know, like, I've, fans need to shut up. This guy, you know, everyone needs to shut up, and I'm just going to go out there and, and play. And it was like everything was like, okay, come on, let's go. It, you know, like, enough. Let, let, let's just get – get this over with, show people what we can do. I'm sick of sitting around. And you saw that come out with him. In the second half, they, they had that initial drive where they looked like they were going to answer, and then he threw a pick. And then, again, there was a mm, moment where is, how is he going to re- rebound from this? And we still haven't seen that yet because it, it's not like the Jets put the game away offensively. No, okay. I mean, you're right. They scored through a three points in the second half. Yeah, so and it's then like... the defense basically did what they normally do, which is let them, you know, escort them down the field, and then are able to stop them on a two point conversion. It was. It, it reminded me a lot of a game in Parcells' first year. They played the Vikings with Brad Johnson, and they had like a 21 to seven lead going into the fourth quarter, uh, or 23 to seven lead, and the, and the Vikings got to where they tied. They were within a two point conversion of tying the game. And then Victor Green made a stop at the goal line. I think it made the Jets eight and four at that point. Now you got to remember they were one and fifteen the year before, um, and, but they still didn't make the playoffs that year in '97. But that was like a win where normally the Jets would totally implode there, like blow the lead, allow the two point conversion, and then lose the game. But they and and then I think most fans anticipated that the Cowboys were going to score it. Once the flag started coming, look, you know, it's like obvious, okay, the, this is going to happen. But the defense kind of, you know, got its composure and was able to make a stop to win the game, and that's ultimately what matters. Are they in a spot now where you can kind of look to see what this season can become? This game obviously will show us a lot. I think that you need to see them have the same type of consistency throughout the game. So you can't have a high for a half and then you come out and then you look totally inept once the other team may, you know, realizes what you're doing and adjusts to it and you don't adjust. So right. we'll, we'll see like the ultimate chance to prove yourself against the, the Patriots here, against Belichick. He's got, okay, this is the guy that he beat. With Miami a couple times, you kind of had his number maybe. Well, now you've got to show it in a game that you have to win. It's, still, I, I, it's amazing. I just get a home game on a Monday night for the second time. I know. You know but um, normally in these situations, they get embarrassed. All right? If you look at the history of them playing in prime time against the Patriots at home, they get embarrassed. They have the Thanksgiving game with the butt fumble and – there was, a, there was another Sunday night game, I think in 2011, where they got about like 49 to 19. So, like, we'll see how they come out and play. This is going to be a big spot. If, if by a miracle, I think most, still most fans would probably say it would be a miracle for them to beat a Patriot team that's 6-0 and looks as good as they look right now. If they're able to, to prove that New England's played a lot of fluff offensively and this team that isn't certainly isn't the same team they saw 
up in New England, they're going to, if the Jets have any type of, um, as they say, like in Major League Two, like, uh, oomph, okay, or they use another word for it, actually. Uh, um, some gumption, yeah. if you want to say. Yeah, some gumption, yeah. Um, some particular fortitude, as uh, the wrestlers would say. I, I think that this is where they have to show it. Like, kind of, you know what, en- enough of us being a laughing stock, enough of waiting uh, until the, the chance will grow good enough. Brady's 43 or 42, you know, he, they, they've shown examples of not being as dominant, even though he's still great. And this is, would be the time to kind of punch him in the, punch him in the face. If they're going to do it. Right. It's an interesting matchup, as you said. I mean, it's almost weird because, right, for so so much, uh, so long, we've been accustomed and trained to seeing Tom Brady and this offense lead the way. Defense play bend but don't break. And, again, especially, again, when you said, when they play the Jets, just beat them down. This is a different Patriots team. I think it's – they're 6-0. Look at the schedule. Like you said, it's been fluff. The Jets are – this team may be the second-best team they've played. Bills, I think, are easily the first. You can debate whether the Steelers or this 1-4 Jets team, almost fully healthy, is is better. But the defense of the Patriots, I mean, they've allowed 48 points this year, yeah. which is just insane through six games. So they at least have been, you know, when they're playing the competition they have been, stuffing the run, stuffing the pass, and just been locked down. We saw, you know, again, with Luke Falk up in New England, you we can't even really count that game, right? Yeah, so right, we're just going right. to throw that away and like right. say it's a whole different team. It is interesting. I like the point you're making about Adam Gase and adjustments because, like you said, the Cowboys obviously made adjustments defensively. The Jets did not and struggled in the second half, especially in the fourth quarter. The, Patri- uh, the Cowboys dominated time possession and dominated that fourth quarter and, and, like you said, needed a two-point conversion to try and tie the game to send overtime. The Jets stops. This is an interesting game because, like you said, now on a Monday night, you have your full complement of weapons. You have a game under Sam Donald's belt. So theoretically, the rust you hope should be off mm-hmm. for the most part. Um, and you hope that they can build at least passing what they did um, against the Cowboys before. You have going against Stephon Gilmore, probably the best corner in 2019, maybe the second best. You want to count Jalen Ramsey when he's healthy. But even you look at offense, the Patriots are pretty banged up. Receiver, they have Julian Edmund, but that's about it. Josh Gordon doesn't look like he'll play this week. Nikhil Harry, their first-round pick, still on uh, IR, out for two more weeks, I believe. And even Michael Bennett, the defensive line, has been suspended for that weird altercation he had with Brett Bielema, uh, I believe the Friday after the Giants game last week. So the Patriots do come in kind of, you know, a little banged up, a little light on some star talent. I wonder if the Jets' defense especially will see um, how healthy they, they will be going in. But I wonder if this is an interesting matchup because, like I said, the Patriots offense isn't world beaters. They haven't been exactly lighting up the scoreboard. And when they have been, it's been against bad defenses. I really am excited, like I said, with adjustments now, going against Adam, uh, going against Bill Belichick and this great Patriots defense, you know it's going to be tough. You know Bill Belichick has some wrinkles ready, especially for the Jets. I want to see what Adam Gase can do because, like you said, your biggest – it sounds like your biggest reservation so far to the first five games with Adam Gase has been the competitive level – and his adjustments. Now, again, the first four games is a little unfair to judge that, but the adjustments are definitely a fair thing to discuss. We didn't see it at all against the Cowboys, and I wonder if this is a close game at halftime. What can Adam Gase do to free up Le'Veon Bell, to free up Robbie Anderson, mm-hmm. and kind of give Sam Darnold some better looks in the second half to get the offense going? Because like I said, they looked good in the first half against the Cowboys, three points in the second half, and had to hold on for dear life against in a win last week. Mm-hmm. 
And I, I think if you're looking at the Jets and, and Brady uh, and the history they have, okay, I, I did something last year where I wanted to show just how dominant Brady has been against the Jets and how, how much of a difference there is in these two franchises since he's come into the league, okay? So there really was no fair way to compare them over the same stretch of time. So what I did was I went back to 1988, and I said, all right, let me, I'll take Jet quarterback numbers from 1988. I'll take Brady's numbers in his career, and then I'll compare them. And going into this game, I know I, I haven't updated the numbers since the first time they played New England, but going into this game, the Patriots have played 200, uh, over that span, it's two, 204 less games for Brady, and he's won 16 more games from 2001 to now than the Jets have won from 1988 until now. Wow. And he's thrown, uh, I believe, three touchdown passes fewer in those 19 years than the Jets have in the last 31 years. That's how much of a difference there is. Yikes. Okay? Yeah, that is not We're a talking good stat about to have. 200 games more. He has more than 16 wins. Okay, like, that didn't Mark White to do that. That's kind of crazy. But I just wanted to show the difference, okay? Like, Brady's been like no one we'd ever seen. There's a, a clear domination they've had over. Last time the Jets beat them was during the regular season in 2015 at home. You know, they, they had that big win over them in the playoffs in 2010. And since then, how many big wins have they had against them? Just that, you know, they, uh, you had Geno Smith beating them one game you know, at home in 2013. You know, some rookie quarterbacks have beaten them. Geno Smith beat them. Sanchez beat them. At, you know, um, Darno last year got killed for last, last game of the regular season in New England and got killed. So the last time Darno saw them, they ate him up. So if he's the guy that's going to lead the Jets into the promised land, he's got to be, like, foaming at the mouth to get back at these guys. Like, they embarrassed me last time. Um, this is my chance on Monday night to really show that the, the reign of terror is coming to an end. Not that it's over yet, but it's coming to an end, and this is our chance to, to prove that. You know, it would absolutely be an interesting game. Um, and, yeah, like you said, it's, so now, now with that said, do you think there's a chance on Monday night? There's a lot of hype for the Jets. Their offensive line is banged up yet. Osemele is now out for the year. So oh, man. now it's, you know, the offensive anyway. line, right, is already struggling. Now you have one of your starters out for the year. Is there any way? Do you think the Jets will win this game any no. chance? They, no. Well, I, I, I think if they want to show that there are anything to take seriously, they don't have to win, but they have to play a complete game. Gase has to show that he has the ability to make adjustments and for the team to be competitive and you know, have times where they make a big stop and show the ability that they are a complete, not a complete NFL team, but a efficient NFL team or a serious NFL team. Because you didn't see that, obviously, the first couple of weeks. You saw, you saw it last week for most of the game, and then it seemed like when the game was on the line, the same panic came back. You know, where they're just right. scrambling around. How are we going to stop this? Flags are flying all over the place. And, you know, we, are, 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 are we seeing the same things that, you know, Jet fans have thrown the television sets out the window for? Or are we showing, you know, a, a, a finally a confident unit? You know, because I, I think you look at guys like Jamal Adams. You look at guys like Marcus May. These are confident guys. You see, definitely C.J. Mosley, you know, coming from Alabama. You know, these guys that are all coming out of the SEC. 
You know, they're used to winning. That's what the Jets need. They need guys, these guys who come in, like Ronnie Lott when he came into the Niners. The Niners weren't the Niners until Ronnie Lott and Joe Montana and those guys got there. Guys that had, that had won. Right. And I, I, I think, you know, May, uh, Adams gets compared to Ronnie Lott a, little, a lot. And Ronnie Lott was one of my favorite players of all time. Um, and he, I think he has the ability to do that. And you see how much he hates to lose. But they still have to show that ability to compose themselves when they need to. Right. No, it's a good point. Like I said, I'm with you. I think it's unfair to have the bar be, did you beat the Patriots on right. Monday night? Right. That should not be the bar right. for Jets fans to be happy or sad with this game. Right. I'm with you. Although be I competitive. can understand that, yeah. Right. But I yeah. mean, right. But I think you said right. It's, yeah, it's all about competitive yeah. and your compete level. You're not going to the playoffs this year. Mm. Can you stay competitive with the Patriots, keep it close, keep it within 10 points, and like I said, maybe even have the ball late in the game with a chance to tie mm-hmm. or, or take the lead? Like, I think that is where... Like the Bills were. Right, exactly. Yeah. And, and it's, it's like, even if, like, who knows what, they, what can happen this year. But you're not there yet. Right. You're, you're not there yet. I, I don't want to hear about playoffs now, if you're a Jeff fan. I, I, I don't. Right. I don't want to hear about, oh, we can do this. I mean, no, I, I don't. You have to show, show that you can play, first of all, a complete game. That's the first thing. Second of all, that you can beat a team better than you at home and that you can consistently beat the teams at your level or worse than you. They haven't shown any of those things. So I don't want to hear about, oh, we're going to go on a run. Our offense is going to be dynamic, blah, blah, blah. That's all I've heard for the last 40 years. (laughs) Okay, enough talk. Until I see it, it's all garbage. It's fair, like you said. And like I said, the bar should be what your compete level is and can you stay close with the Patriots show some adjustments, and at least show some promise that, again, maybe not this year, but next year or the, down the road, you can be a team that will compete, not just for, you know, not just in games, but compete for a playoff spot and then ultimately become a Super Bowl contender. Um, we still have a ton of other mm-hmm. – you want to wrap up here? <laughs> I, 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 I just want to say one more thing about how, how dominant the Patriots have been. Sure. You think since Brady's joined, you know, took over, you know, we all know Mo Lewis created this, okay? with the hit of Bledsoe, and then Brady comes in. Nobody knew who he was when he came into the game. I, f- I feel like Donald Trump, nobody knew who he was. <laughs> like, he, he was this guy that, Brady, who's, who's okay, well, at least we got Bledsoe out of the game. You know? And then all of a sudden, he beats Manning, and he becomes, nobody could have seen it, but he turns all of Boston around. Everything that was one way turns the other. It's like an upside-down universe, kind of. The Patriots have won a division every year except that he's played every year except for 2002. Yep. It's crazy. They okay. had a stranglehold in the AFC East. The it's only year the they didn't win it was the year that he was hurt, and they still won 11 games, but the Dolphins, I don't know how, the Dolphins won in 15 the year before. And the Jets, that was the year they had Favre, and they were at one point 8-3, and three, and they beat the New England and Tennessee were undefeated, and they yep. looked like, wow, they're, they're, they're going to, you know, I remember scoring like 49 points against the Rams at home. They looked dynamic. And then they lose four of the last five games. The only game they won was against Buffalo because uh, the Buffalo quarterback, Lossman, fumbled and the Jets recovered in the end zone. That's the only reason why they won. Otherwise, they would have lost all, four, all five games. So I, I think that the dominance has been unprecedented, okay? And it's when you win a division every year except once since 2002, and then you have the fact that the last time they weren't in an AFC championship game was 2010, when the Jets and the Steelers won. Like, the last time the Patriots were not in an AFC championship game, the Jets made the playoffs. And we all know how long it's been since the Jets made the playoffs. It's crazy. So, it is absolutely crazy. Yeah. Like I said, it's a dynastic run the Patriots have had, just a stranglehold on the AFC East and the AFC overall. 
We'll see how the Jets, if they can at least stay close on Monday night against New England. When we come back, we have a few different matchups to highlight in the NFL, some good ones that will happen on Sunday. We'll hit all those, give you our picks, some college football, so to get to yeah, football, as some yeah. big college football games coming up this weekend as well. It is the morning, boys. Ryan Hickey, Mark Kelly rolling on on sports on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're listening to the Morning Boys on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back in. It is the Morning Boys. Ryan Hickey, Mark Everett Kelly with you. Oh. Never heard this one. Allison chains them bones. A nice mark uh, suggestion. We're getting used to the music here. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in wherever you are. WorldwideSportsRadio.com. We're on Periscope. We're on YouTube. We're on Facebook. Uh, thanks so much wherever you're getting us. We're here every Tuesday and Friday, 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. Our second week ever launching. So thanks so much for tuning in early on. You are here on the ground floor level of the show and hopefully, if we ever make it big one day, we definitely will not forget the support we got early on on this great Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Talked a, a lot to get to today. Obviously, we, we previewed a lot of the ALCS early on, Yankees, Astros, Yankees. Down 3-1, to one. the Astros trying to put it away with Justin Verlander on the hill in Game 5 tonight. The biggest story in the NFL, and maybe even in sports, Patrick Mahomes, MVP last year, coming, if not is right now, will be the face of the NFL um, especially once Brady retires and that mantle is passed down. Just so dynamic, so good. And, and for such a young player, too, to come on, burst on the scene, throw 50 touchdowns, win the MVP in his first full year as a starter, take the Chiefs to within overtime of going to the Super Bowl. Just an insane run so far from Patrick Mahomes. You say, hate to see him go down. A dislocated right kneecap suffered in last Thursday's game, oh, excuse me, last night's game, Thursday night game against the Broncos. MRI is scheduled for today to see if there's any ligament damage. You hope from reports you're seeing, if there's no ligament damage, he's out maybe three weeks is the best-case scenario. Their bye is after four more games. So maybe if you know, you're know you the Chiefs, you target him returning after the bye in week 13. And unfortunately, worst-case scenario, if there is some ligament damage, could be out for the year. Matt Moore replaced Mahomes under center last night in their win over the Broncos. And me and Mark, we discussed... If, the, if Mahomes is out for a decent amount of time, who is that team now to replace the Chiefs as really the biggest threat to the Patriots, right? Patriots 6-0, and they've run the AFC um, for so long now, especially these last few years, going to three straight Super Bowls. Who is that team to replace the Chiefs that could push uh, the Patriots and maybe knock them off their throne as kings of the AFC? I said the Texans, I like Deshaun Watson and what he's been able to do so far. I feel like he's, because Patrick Mahomes being in that same draft class and Patrick Mahomes burst on the scene just out of nowhere and took over the league by storm last year. Like I said, throwing 50 touchdowns, winning the MVP. It almost overshadowed Deshaun Watson because he had a really nice rookie year, got hurt, towards ACL, was a little slow to return last year, and by the time he started getting ramping up to speed and playing his best football, it's too late. Mahomes already was off and running, took over the NFL, and again, with him and Indy Reid, that explosive high-flying Chiefs offense was so fun to watch. Mahomes making plays with his left hand, throwing it no-look passes. So he just took the league by storm. And I feel like because of that, Watson got a little overshadowed a little bit, hasn't really gained the respect he's, he's garnered 
goes in Arrowhead last week, beats Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. And now, again, with, with Mahomes going down, we don't know the severity of the injury. But if he goes down for a decent amount of time, I like the way the Texans are set up, not just offensively with Deshaun Watson, but defensively as well. You have J.J. Uh, Watt, you have Whitney Merciless, able to get after the quarterback. The biggest way to beat the Patriots, as we've seen, is to make Tom Brady uncomfortable in the pocket. The receivers are a little bit banged up. I like the secondary and on the front seven, especially of the Texans, more than Mark's team. Mark made a great point. He picked the Ravens as a team that could most likely supplant the Patriots because he likes the run game the way Lamar Jackson uh, and that run offense has been. Lamar Jackson so dynamic, rushing the ball from the quarterback position. Obviously, you know, you have the run game um, just chewing up yards and chewing up clock, which is another big way to beat the Patriots as well, is by holding on to the ball and not letting Tom Brady um, – make any plays and again keep that Patriots defense while they've been so far stand out and been so good again the schedule you know leaves a little bit of question marks in terms of how good they truly are um, playing six pretty brutal teams at least offensively the Bills being their best team so far in a close defensive slugfest so with that Mark we'll get mm. into the week seven schedule a few games here to highlight just some really good matchups we had to prove it Sunday last week mm. I don't I'll be honest I don't have a name for this Sunday's <laughs> matchup uh, so we'll just call it the Week 7 slate unless you have a, oh, a nice nickname wow, lined up. Come on, man. You're more creative than I. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm really blanking here. But we'll start with a nice uh, cross-conference matchup. I don't have anything, by the way, but that's, <laughs> I can criticize you, though. <laughs> the Ravens, Mark, your team in the AFC, you're saying that could replace my, the my Chiefs. My team. They've become my team now. Well, I'm saying <laughs> yeah, the, you, that was a team you picked yeah. that could replace the Chiefs as the biggest threat to the Patriots. 4-2, mm-hmm. and two, going on the road to the Seahawks, who've been – I would say surprisingly dominant so far, 5-1 in the year. Russell Wilson playing like an MVP so far. How do you think this game could go? Uh, well, I think that you have probably the two teams that you historically, you know, they're usually competitive. Okay. This is going to be a really interesting match because of the two quarterbacks. Right. You look at the year Russell Wilson's having, 14 touchdowns, zero interceptions. I mentioned 42 touchdowns, four picks going back the last 20 games of last year. And – you kind of forgot about him for a little while. You know, like, oh, he's, he's nice, you know. But the, the thing about Russell Wilson, too, is he's a, a, like a great example of a, of a player, uh, that, of, a, of a role model, a player that you could, kids could look up to, teammates can count on. You know, it, it's not, it, it, you know, the fact that he's, uh, you know, very religious and, and he takes it seriously, like a Tebow, you know. I, I think a lot of guys win. Especially the press is very skeptical of guys that preach Christ and this and that because, you know, oh, they're hypocrites. And they, meanwhile, they go off and they have, um, you know, four, 400 other girlfriends and they cheat on their wives and all this other stuff that, you know, generally they get the, these, these this, this stereotypical athlete can, can be. Um, where a guy like Russell Wilson or, or Tebow, like these guys are, are just, you know, they believe what they say. They they, they they walk it every day, and I, I, I think that it shows in the confidence he has and also in, the, in the, the way his teammates react to him, and they really believe in this guy. And um, so I, with that dynamic, if he's playing the way he's playing, Seattle, I don't know if they're, if they're strong enough defensively to be better than what we've seen the Niners are going to be if the Niners are this good defensively. Right, but this is going to be a good test for them because it's going to force them to deal with an unconventional player and always constantly be making in-game adjustments to stop what they're doing. 
if they can do that, then that, that, that'll set a precedent for a pretty good run for them where they, at least they know they can handle that. It will give them the confidence that they can pretty much adjust to any, any offense that is, comes their way. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll see. If the, the winner of, of this game, though, will really be able to take a stranglehold of a playoff spot somewhere. You know, you're absolutely right. Like I said, the winner, either if the Ravens go 5-2 and two or the Seahawks will be 6-1, and one, just mm-hmm. like I said, right there with the 49ers for the division. And like I said, really start to separate themselves in their respective conference. I'm with you. You have two fun offenses, right? Russell Wilson's playing in the MVP level. Mm-hmm. Like you said, we almost forgot about him sort right, of like right. to the Sean Watson, Patrick Mahomes effect where Mahomes bursts on the scene. You kind of forget about Sean Watson a little bit, how good and dynamic he is. Russell Wilson just kind of... Because of you know the offensive line has just been putrid, they're kind of going in transition with their defense. They haven't been dynamic as you know when the Legion of Boom was there mm. and really you know dominating the way they used to. Now it's Russell Wilson's team. They transition the other way to now they're an offensive led team. You have like I said Wilson playing arguably the best of his career and really having that Thursday night game against the Rams two weeks ago that kind of put him on the national map again, reminding people how good he actually is. Follows that up with a nice win in Cleveland. I do think the Seahawks win this game at home, partially because I like, like you said, two struggling defenses. I do like the front seven of the Seahawks better. I love, especially with the linebackers, Bobby Wagner. Those front sevens are going to be so important to stopping the run early on of the Ravens mm-hmm. and really making Lamar Jackson just be one-dimensional trying to throw the ball. Um, so I like the Seahawks at home kind of having that home field advantage behind them, helping the defense. And when you're comparing front sevens, I do like the Seahawks better to stop Lamar Jackson and make it harder for him to move the ball with some success, but I do think it could be a, sort of like a Browns-Seahawks game last week where I think the final score is 32-28 where both teams are making some plays in offense. I do think it will be an offensive-led team. Now the Ravens do add Marcus Peters, which will help, especially with their pass defense, especially going against Russell Wilson, who's just dissecting teams. Hurts that Will Disley is out tight end for the Seahawks out for the year with an Achilles injury, but we'll see what Tyler Lockett can do against Marcus Peters. He struggled this year pretty bad in Los Angeles. Maybe a change of scenery will help him in Baltimore. So we'll see about that. It's going to be a fun matchup again between Lamar Jackson and Russell Wilson. How about an NFC North battle? The Vikings, we put them, we had them on Prove It Sunday last week. They beat the Eagles, go to 4-2. and two. And the Lions, another team that we're interested to see, I think played pretty well against Monday Night, uh, on Monday Night Football against the Packers. Arguably should have won the game if the referees you know, weren't involved as much as they were in the game, but they dropped it 2-2-1. and one. This is interesting to me because in this division, you probably have the best division in the NFC North between the Bears, the Vikings, the Lions, and the Packers for pretty, you know. NFC West, pretty good too, yeah. That's fair. You're right. Yeah. That's fair. I think top to bottom, mm-hmm. I mean, to be fair, the AFC West does have the Cardinals. But you're right, the top three is, is pretty good. I think all four teams in the NFC North could compete for a uh, – not just the division top, but a playoff spot as well. Mm-hmm. I can't even see how Kirk Cousins plays. On the road, he bounced back well playing against the Eagles at home. Mm-hmm. But now a pretty good defense that Matt Patricia has. Limited Aaron Rodgers for how long, you know, most of that game. Granted, Packers wide receivers were banged up and dropping balls left and right. So that mm-hmm. obviously didn't help. But they have a pretty good defense. I'm interested to see how Kirk Cousins on the road against, you know, again, decent competition here plays because that's all we know has been his biggest bugaboo. He struggles when the moment gets big. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I was listening to uh, uh, Showtime did the NFL uh, pre- preview uh, that they have on, and Ray Lewis was talking about the difference that a play can make, and that if the Lions get those calls, they're in first place, and they they are they have the, the uh, momentum now because players don't know what to do, they don't know what's a penalty and what what isn't, and they're having penalties called against them that they don't commit. Uh, there's this 
utter confusion and mess going on uh, with uh, players not knowing uh, if uh, the better team's going to win because they play better or because they make the plays. Like, they made the plays to win that game, and they didn't win because something happened that jumped in their way. The fact that that is a possibility now in the NFL, it makes me uncomfortable. It's got to make the players uncomfortable. And I, I, it seems to affect the teams that generally lose, like right. the Lions. You know, it, it, that, that was perfect to happen to the Lions because the Lions have you know, it's been around since 1930. You know, I, I, I tell people how bad the franchise has been. They've never been to the Super Bowl. They haven't won a playoff game since 93. I believe when they beat the um, beat the when they beat the Packers, maybe the line. I mean, that was when uh, right. it's, it's, Fonts you know, was a head coach. I mean, over been, twenty-five been long, years ago. No, it was uh, ninety-one. It was actually they beat the Cowboys in ninety-one. They beat Emmitt Smith before the Cowboys went on a run. They beat them thirty-eight to six in the Silverdome, one of the only games in the Silverdome in history. That was about Barry Sanders, Mike Utley year when you know when Utley got hurt and then they were inspired by him. Rodney Pete was their quarterback. They made it to the championship game. That's the only time they made it to the championship game in their history. They've never had seasons of double-digit, consecutive seasons of double-digit wins. Think about that. Since 1930, they've never done that. Okay, they're one of like three or four teams to never make a Super Bowl, you know, along with the Browns and um, there's one more, one more team. The Jaguars, I know, haven't made it, but they, they, haven't, they weren't right. around at the merger. Right. Um, so it, it's uh, – they're, they're historically – susceptible to things like that happening. I hate seeing it happen because Stafford for a long time, I mean, he threw for 5,000 yards, but that was back in 2011. And then in 2012, he throws for almost like just under 5,000 yards. And this was a number one pick. And a lot of people consider him, a, a, you know, talk about a guy everyone forgets. I look at his numbers. He's got right. really good numbers, like on the, on the level of a Philip Rivers you know, I mean, Rivers certainly hasn't done anything in playoffs either. You right. know, so, right. I mean, they, you know, Stafford's never won a playoff game. But at least you, you, you expect them to, to be good enough with a quarterback like that to have a season where they can compete. And they've been in situations a couple of years ago where they had, like, a three-game lead with three games left and – they collapsed, and Green Bay wound up winning the division. I think the last game of the year, they wound up going and beating them to you know, a winner-take-all game. So uh, it, the Lions, with their history, it, it was kind of fitting that something like that would happen where it, where it would make such a difference early in the year where they are in the standings. Right, I know. I'm interested to see how they bounce back. I do think the Vikings do win this game. Um, I do think Kirk Cousins can kind of get some confidence going from last week against the Eagles playing well. Um, like I said, it's a, it's a tough game to bounce back from if you're a Lions fan. You're at home, which is nice. And in division, these games are so important because, like you said, the Lions win that they're in first place. Now they're in last place. So mm-hmm. as we see, the, with the division so close together and everyone bunched together, every game matters. This is a huge game for both teams. I do, though, think the Vikings go into Detroit and get the win. We'll stick with another division here, AFC South. Texans 4-2 at the Colts 3-2. Both teams beating the Chiefs in Kansas City mm-hmm. as their last win. This is so interesting to me because, like I said, the Colts have been a surprise team so far, and the Texans have a chance to at least put themselves as the forefront threat in the AFC behind the Patriots if they can go 
into Indianapolis, win this game, and take a, a stranglehold at least on the AFC South. Mm-hmm. I mean, and you look at the fact that the Col- no one thought the Colts would do anything when the season started. You thought that that opening game, that opening game win against the Chargers, uh, the opening game loss, they only lost by six points. Yep. No one knew how, and the Chargers, it's, the Chargers and the, and the Falcons need therapists. Yeah. They, 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 you don't know what you're going to get from either. Yeah. And then, like, sometimes they'll change in the middle of the season, and all of a sudden they'll stink, and they'll become great. So when they lost by six to the Chargers, people, oh, well, that's nice. They're competing. Then they go and they beat Tennessee. Then they beat the underachieving Falcons. And you think, it's mm, a nice story, you know? Then they have a fallback where they lose to the Raiders, where I think most people thought that they probably should have won that game at home. Yep. Uh, and then they go and they win at Kansas City where before anybody else did it. Yep. So they're coming off a bye week. I think if you look at the type of football that they play, uh, more of a control running game, they're going to come at you. They got really physical offensive linemen. And that's geared toward taking a lot of pressure off your defense. So you, they're going to be in most games. Uh, Brissett, if you look at his numbers, 10 touchdowns, 3 picks. He's got a completion percentage just under, uh, under 65%. It's pretty good. Right. No, absolutely. He's, know, been, so he's been good for the Colts. Um, I'm with you. I, I, it's going to be, you know, it, it, it's right, you take the home team in this case uh, because you're dealing with two teams that are on the rise. And, that, you know, and I, I, I think that that's the only advantage I can see. Interesting. Um, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, the Colts get a little healthier with Darius Leonard coming back. Um, I am a little worried about the Colts trying to establish the run game. The Texans have been very good at stopping the run. And like you said, um, Jacoby Brissett, excuse me, has been, has been good. He's been manageable. Hasn't lost any of the games. This mm. could be a game where he might have to put the team on his back and try to win it. I'm not sure I have the confidence right now to say he can do that. He played well against the Falcons, but their defense has just been horrendous. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually do think the Texans, in a very close game, will go into Indy and win the game and go to 5-2 and two in the year. I just think... With the way the run game has been so needed for the Colts, if they can't establish it, right now at least I'm not confident Jacoby Brissett can make enough plays to help win the game. But I think it will be, like you said, very close. Well, they're 10th in the league in stopping a run, the Texans. They've allowed right. uh, 528 yards on the season, I think. Uh, and I don't think they have a 100-yard rusher since week two against Jacksonville. So they're pretty uh, you know, stout defense. Yeah. So it's going to be tough. Like I said, the Colts are so reliant on the, on the run, especially early. They can't get the ball going. We'll see um, if they will have any success on offense. How about the Saints? Five and one. You mentioned no Drew Brees. Talked to Damon Adams about it before. Teddy Bridgewater undefeated since he's filled in um, for Brees. Five and one going on the road. Three and two Bears. Mitchell Trubisky possibly looks like will return this game for the Bears offense. But talk, I mean, talk about two teams right now being led by their defense. Mm-hmm. And I think no one saw that. Like the Saints by their defense. Are you kidding me? Right. I know. Yeah. Absolutely. That's a team that, you know, like women and children first when, when it comes to their, with their defense has been so bad historically. Anyway, oh, under, yeah. Uh, under, under Drew Brees. Oh, yeah. And uh, they are finally where you could take them seriously. And, and I think maybe even win the game. So uh, I, I think that they've established themselves without Brees showing that they can stay and not fall far behind. And not only that, but be in first place. So it's kind of theirs to, to lose at this point. You're not going to hear from Atlanta. You're not going to hear from the Bucks when you know after that one game by by James Winston and uh, Carolina. It's a nice story so far. And as much as as Kyle Allen has been this unbelievable story, 
is anyone really buying into him yet? I, I, I don't know. That'd be an interesting thing to talk about. I don't right. know. Um, yeah, I'm, I agree. I'm with you. Um, this is, I mean, I do think right now the Saints are the best team in the NFL. I really do. I like their defense, the way their defense is playing. Than the Patriots? Yes. Because I think right now the Patriots, look at their schedule. The Saints have gone into Seattle and won. They've beaten the Cowboys at home. And the one game they lost was the Rams when Drew Brees got hurt. Mm. You know, they, they've won some decent games. They went on the road at Jacksonville last week and won. Say what you want, but they have a good defense, Jacksonville. Say what you want. At least, you know, the Saints have, have some respectable wins compared to the yeah. Patriots have played no one, and their You're offense right. has been sporadic at times. You're right. But with that said, I do think the Bears at home, with their defense being so good, this was basically almost a must win for the Bears, right? That we just talked about yeah, the Vikings and Lions. Yeah. Right. So, so that division is so close-knit together right now. I think the Bears need this win pretty badly, and I just like their defense. We saw the Saints struggle last week against the Jaguars, only putting up 13 points. I think the Bears' offense is a little bit better than the Jaguars' offense. So with that said, at home against an insane defense, I like the Bears pulling or getting the win in this one, moving to 4-2, and two, and then the Saints falling back. But again, very close game, um, but still – Ironically, saying the Saints are the best team, picking them to lose. Mm-hmm. But I think that's what will happen on Sunday. And we'll wrap up with this. Eagles, Cowboys, both 3-3 three and three division leaders right now in the NFC East on Sunday Night Football. Cowboys have gone the other direction after this, a 3-0 and start. Like I said, most recently losing to the Jets at MetLife. But you look at the Eagles. I mean, their secondary is depleted. They've looked lost on defense. Can they figure it out in Dallas? Well, who are the Eagles? I mean, well, one week they're dropping passes against the Lions, and I, I don't care what anybody says, losing to the Lions at home is bad. You know, then they come out, and it, anyone could make Luke Falk look bad, so, but they you know, dominate the Jets, and then they come out and they lose last week. Yep. You know, so, and I, I think most people thought that they, they just kind of needed to get their bearings, okay, because uh, you know, they, they had played well offensively, uh, they, they weren't getting the consistency from their wide receivers catching the ball, and uh, maybe those were reasons why they lost, okay? And then they come out. After, after beating a, a you know, bad Jet team, they come out, and they get dominated by the Vikings. Now, granted, it's in Minnesota, but the, the Vikings were that team that everyone thought would fold or, or self-destruct in a big spot. Kirk, I mean, they, they were criticizing Kirk Cousins like he was this – a guy that couldn't win a big game, you know, say what you want, but uh, they came out and they scored 38 on him, and they made everyone kind of be like, well, maybe, maybe Philly isn't the best team in that division. And you don't know right now between Dallas and Philly and even the Giants are still in there. You know, the Redskins aren't, but, uh, you know, between those three teams, it could be interesting. It is. It is. Um, I do think the Cowboys at home can win this game. I just – with the Eagles secondary just – and especially on defense, just they're so banged up all over the place. The receivers, like you said, are dropping balls. Alshon Jeffrey coming back is a nice addition, but it still doesn't help them kind of break away. I like the Cowboys better on secondary. Even if Amari Cooper doesn't play, I like their offense to garner some more, um, some more yards, get some more points. So I think Cowboys at home doing yeah. this one to kind of turn the ship around. And this will be a set that the advantage for the rest of the season, I think. Yep. You know, Absolutely. Unless the Giants are going to come up and bite somebody on the ankles, which I don't think so yet. Um, it, it, this is going to be something that both teams can see going forward. All right, who's going to be the team in this division? I'm with you. And I think at least for this week, <clears> it will be the Cowboys moving to 4-3 and three and posing more questions in Philadelphia about if they can turn it around and try to get this season back on the right track. We'll come back. We'll wrap up college football. Anyone on upset alert? 
Not too many ranked matchups this week, mm. but is anyone in the top five on Upset Alert will tell you which team you should be nervous about as the Morning Boys, Ryan Hickey, Mark Everkelly, roll on right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're listening to the Morning Boys on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the Morning Boys. Welcome back in. We apologize for the extended break. Had a fire alarm going off in the building. It was deafening, and if we turned the mics on, yeah. Oh, my God. Your eardrums would explode, so I wanted to save you from that. Guido, what'd you do, man? What'd you do, man? Did you burn the place down? (laughs) Mike Guido, host of the the Haystack, coming up next, uh, trying to sabotage the end of the morning, (laughs) boys, here. (laughs) I I think it's just they don't want us on air, so. Um, We'll wrap up quickly. Quickly, yes, as thankfully the fire alarm mercifully stopped before all our eardrums exploded. Mm. We'll quickly uh, wrap it up here, Mark. SEC East, you know, in, in general, not too great of a slate in college football, but one team upset alert possibly. You have number nine Florida after just a tough back-to-back hosting Auburn, going on the road to LSU, now going to South Carolina before playing Georgia the week after that. Any sort of trap game here for uh, the Gators? Well, I don't know. A tra- trap game? I think uh, South Carolina got people's attention. Uh, by going into Georgia and beating them. Normally, South Carolina can beat those teams at home if they're going to. Uh, Florida's another team. They, these games are marked on their schedule, okay? They've only won the SEC East once. And if you look at how the SEC East breaks down, now both Georgia and Florida lost last week. So that opens the door to Missouri. Why? Because Missouri beat South Carolina a couple weeks ago, and they beat them bad. You know, South Carolina since then has beaten Kentucky, uh, no one thought they would beat Georgia. Um, now they come home. If they beat Florida, people will start to pay attention to them. However, they are still unable to really make some noise until Missouri loses again. But if they beat this, if they beat Florida, then they will have beaten Georgia and Florida. Yep. And have the head-to-head uh, tiebreaker over both of them. Yep. Oh, that's like okay. That's huge. It's just does South Carolina have the horses? I mean. They did it with a third-string quarterback last week in Georgia. Again, they, they absolutely made the plays they had to do mm-hmm. to win the game. Yeah. Georgia did help them out. Jake Fromm, you know, and their receivers not being on the same page a few times. I get it. You know, do, you, do you know if the quarterback's good, if, if he's coming back? I, I, I didn't check. I have not seen anything yeah. yet. Um, but either way, though, I know with, uh, with Holinsky, they'll be down to their second quarterback yeah, at least. Yeah, he's, but he's better than Bentley. Bentley played bad early in the year. Yes. That he blew is. the game against uh, North Carolina, first game of the year. So he, he hasn't. He wasn't good. That you know, Bentley's, uh, Rinsky's been better. Right. I mean, yes, you're, you're absolutely right on that. It's a tough ask going against this Florida defense. Now, again, LSU exposed the Florida defense last year, scoring uh, last week, excuse me, scoring 42 points in Baton Rouge. Mm-hmm. Um, Kyle Trask looked good. Honestly, I was a little surprised. I didn't really know how he was going to handle that environment. He looked very calm and made some great, outside of the one interception in the end zone, made some great decisions to put, I mean, gave Florida the lead in the second half, 28-21. So he definitely wasn't the reason why they came up short against the Tigers, but out of, all the, right, out of all the top 10 teams playing unranked opponents, I think Florida is the most likely to be an upset alert. But, again, I question of South Carolina. Like you said, now that even you know they put themselves on the map against Georgia, I think this is also a game where Florida now looks at because this is not a cupcake. You know, Maybe you're looking ahead to Georgia before this upset happens. Mm-hmm. Now you realize, okay, this team can play. They can beat some legitimate talent. We can't just roll on in here, throw our helmets on the field, and expect to win. Because we saw what happened with Georgia. Right, and Florida, South Carolina's won five of the last nine games against Florida, okay? 
Florida's offense, no one thought would be that great until they, you know, uh, LSU couldn't stop anybody, but then Florida kind of self-destructed toward the end of the game there. So I think that South Carolina, Holinsky is going to play. And and they have a real chance to win this game, okay? And then if that happens, then you got to look at Missouri and and what they do. Uh, Because I don't feel confident that Georgia can beat Florida and that they can beat – they still got to play Auburn, don't they? Yep. Uh, they still so, three ranked opponents, yeah. including Missouri, in their schedule. Yeah, Florida exactly. and Auburn. And, and, and that'll make that Georgia-Missouri game very interesting if South Carolina wins this game. Now, just a quick reminder, Missouri is ineligible this year. So even if they right. beat Georgia, even if they win, it doesn't matter if they're top in the yeah, SEC right. East. Right. They won't okay. go to the SEC title game. Okay. So, again, it would be a nice yeah. story more, more for the go. Tigers, but you're right in terms of – Yeah, yeah you, I forgot about that. You're right. So, I'm thinking that they're, they're eligible. You're right. They're not. They are, unfortunately. So, so, of course, it, right. It does make everything really when, interesting. Right, it does. Now it's almost a three-team race, you say, with South yeah, Carolina, Florida. If they Florida. win, they beat Florida, yeah. they, they have the advantage, don't absolutely. they? Absolutely. Oh, you're absolutely right. I you mean, said you beat the two frontrunners in the right. East in Georgia and Florida. It's I a mean, huge tiebreaker to own. I mean, knowing them, they would then lose to, like, Arkansas or somebody. But, you know. It, right, and you've got to be worried about Will champs, you know, decision-making late in the game. Yeah, and, and South Carolina generally shoots themselves in, not, not the foot, they usually shoot themselves in the head. Right. Um, so with that said, so obviously, like I said, are you predicting South Carolina? Are you thinking South Carolina can win this game, or can the Gators take care of business before? I think week? if Holinsky plays, South Carolina showed that they uh, that they're not bad. They're, they're definitely defensively, they will get after you, yep. okay, and they will get in your face, and that's what they did to Georgia. They bullied them yep. and they pushed them around, okay. So they have the ability to do that. I like their defense, and if they can. Chase Florida around, you know that they're going to be excited down there because they, they don't get, like, anything down there. It's like they, they're never good enough to win anything. So the fact that they, they, this will bring everybody back, everybody's going to come out of the woodworks for this game. They're going to be excited for that game, knowing if they win that one, then they have the advantage. No, you're absolutely right. It'll be a fun atmosphere for sure. Um, and like I said, we'll, we'll see if they can get it done. It definitely changes the entire landscape of the SEC East if they can go and upset the Gators. I mm-hmm. personally don't think it will happen. I like the way, again, Kyle Trask has played mm-hmm. such an in-depth valley. And I just I love that, even despite last week, I love that Florida defense. I think it could be talking about overwhelming. I think it could overwhelm that South Carolina offense who, again, wasn't world beaters by any stretch last week against Georgia. They won their defense. If it's a defensive slugfest, I'll take Kyle Trask. I'll take that Florida defense even on the road. So I think the, the Gators – do get it done and set up a huge pivotal matchup next week when they go to Jacksonville to take on the Gators, uh, to take on the Bulldogs, excuse me. So that will do it for the morning, boys, right here. Ryan Hickey, Mark Everett Kelly with you. We are here every Tuesday and Friday, 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Thank you so much for listening wherever you are, Periscope, Facebook, YouTube, WorldwideSportsRadio.com. Tune in. We are all over the map. Anywhere you can stream us digitally or listen to us, we are on there. Uh, enjoy the weekend. We'll be back next week. Um, Breaking down all the action of the Yankees can continue to ALCS. We'll have a World Series matchup by then. Breaking down all the NFL and college football action. Enjoy the weekend of games. We will talk to you on Tuesday. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.